Pay the one. This is our third episode, and I'm your host, Islaine. I am joined by my co-hosts, Beth. Hi. RJ. Hi, diddly do. And Mr. Fitz. How's it going, Islaine? Happy to be back. Yes, it's going. It's going well. Thank you for asking. Uh, so today we are planning on getting into a deep dive of the newest Magic set that is releasing. God, it's pre-release this weekend or next. This weekend. Yeah, so it's already... You guys are going to be hearing this and um, probably going to pre-release the day after. Uh, So we wanted to kind of talk about the cards in the set, um, the new set, uh, Streets of New Capenna, and, you know, kind of talk about what we expected going into it uh, and then what we actually got uh, in terms of cards and how we feel about them. Some we're excited for. There are... Plenty in the set that we're not excited for, but uh, we won't be talking about those. Anyway, uh, I wanted to stick to the same format that we've been doing uh, at least the last episode. So uh, we're going to start off breaking the ice. Uh, I just need to hear something from each of you that uh, is what you've been doing, what you've been up to since the last time we spoke. It can be magic related. It can be something else, what you're working on for content, whatever the case may be. Uh, This week, I'll let uh, Fitz, why don't you start us off? Yeah, for sure. Uh, Since the last time we got together, my uh, neighbor sold his magic collection to me. He was going to price it out and sell it to his store. And then I was like, well, him and I just kind of talked about it. And then I bought it uh, for cash and I got it for about 50% off, which would be uh, I'd make a decent profit if I was actually going to fucking sell any of the cards. Right. Which (laughs) I always think that's funny. Uh, My girl used to always get mad at me because she would buy me a pack or, or some packs at, or I'd get a box and it'd be like, Oh, you know, this one card paid for the whole box. If I was going to sell it, you know, like, <laughs> none of us are actually selling this shit. Although I no. guess that's not true. I have sold plenty of cards, but uh, it's usually stuff that's like a, you know, standard legal, uh, amazing bomb for them, or it's a really great limited card, but it's just not good for anything I'm doing. But, yeah, yeah for sure. And his card, did you like strike any gold? gold? Uh, oh, for sure. He had like uh, a mana drain. Um, oh, nice. Both uh, the OG Eldrazi Titans. Those are like a hundred bucks pop. Wow. Uh, Blight Steel. It was good. Dockside. Right on. Fierce Guardianship. He had a lot of good cards. So yeah, you had some staples then. Yeah, and I jammed most of the really gross ones into uh, the Suspend Joyra to uh, play that deck. Joyra of the oh. Gitu. Yeah. Nice. nice. I haven't seen that one in a long time. Beth, what have you been up to? Oh, my goodness. So April was supposed to be my month off. And by April 4th, I was ready to come back. But I am really glad for the break because I feel like I didn't actually get a break because I've just been running around like a crazy person. And I guess someone caught wind of it because last week I was invited to play with the RC, um, Sheldon Mentory and Hobbs. And I had so much fun and Scott as well. So it was a really great game I got with my LGS. They actually cut me a really sweet deal to provide me with some better cards for my Queen Marchessa deck that I've been wanting to build forever. And I didn't win, but it was so much fun. 
and the deck was super mean. And then I realized I want to win all my games, and now I need you guys to upgrade all of my decks. So I'll send you the lists. Hey, we're we're down. <laughs> Challenge accepted. I will I will try to make anything you have into CEDH if if I can. <laughs> I'm still waiting on my little pony. All right. Well, that one I'm not sure about. <laughs> Um, but yeah, I actually, I will be playing tonight on Danny Boy, Gara, or Dad Jokes and Cardboard stream. And then I come back Monday into my regular schedule. I stream one last Thursday, and then I come back in May on Wednesday night. So I'm pretty excited. That sounds cool. Yeah. Uh, we'll have to check that out. Um, I did, uh, you got a YouTube started or added some new stuff to that as well? I know... You posted something and I subscribed. Thank you. I've had a YouTube for a while, but I I fucking hate editing videos. It's why I don't do a podcast myself and why I don't record anything because I would have to re- take out 60,000 ums and that's not my life. That's your life. So uh, I just took my streams. I get the videos from all of them and then just automatically transfer them over. And the one part of the series for my YouTube that I'm excited about is the we're going to deck you set that Trenton and I are doing. And so I set up the actual stream in a way that it's already pretty much a recorded video. So that is on there and it's relatively easy to follow. I need to ask you guys how to like put in skips for sections on YouTube videos, but that's for another time. But yeah, I'm, I'm my YouTube is up and running. I think I'm only 40 people away from a custom URL. So we're getting there. And then I got, I had a birthday. So my birthday was April 8th and I am now over a thousand followers Sweet. on Twitter. Yeah. Oh, happy. I think I told you, but happy birthday again. <laughs> you Believe did. It. Thank you. Sweet. Well, um, last but not least, RJ, uh, we know that you um, were down and out for a little while. Glad you're feeling better. Uh, But um, have you done anything in your downtime? So uh, specifically, I am finally getting around to upgrading uh, at least my casual EDH decks because I haven't really pulled the trigger on any major purchases since Crimson Vow. So I'm finally starting to get in the process of upgrading my eight to 10 or so casual decks that I just have my rotation. So that's been exciting to finally explore and pull the trigger on some cards. Now that prices have stabilized and such since we're a couple sets out. Um, yeah. But uh, besides that, I've really been trying to get back into CEDH now and I've, uh, you, you, you've seen me on Twitter at least the past couple of weeks uh, mentioning Minsk and specifically hmm. now in con in context with a certain card that we'll be discussing today out of the mono green territory and how yeah. uh, there's some very busted things to happen with that. But it's just encouraging me to go back, look at Yasharn, look at um, a, diff- a bunch of different Naya lists that are possible for me, hipster stacks, things of that nature. So, Well, and then maybe some new ones that are coming out here. Uh, I know a couple like Jetmere people were excited about, but yeah, obviously we'll talk about that later. Exactly. But but really, that's just been it for me. Um, spending a lot of quality time with the kid and the family and such. But so is everyone here. So yeah, awesome. Sounds like you guys have all had a good couple of weeks. I think it's been since we. It's probably been longer than that. But um, <laughs> we're we're gonna be on a bi-weekly 
schedule at some point, but right now it's been kind of up in the air because of uh, timing restrictions. So we'll get it squared away at some point. I have been working on some brews uh, because of spoiler season. I tend to brew stuff before it's even released so I can try and play test it a little bit and see if it's something I actually want to purchase. Shout outs to Moxfield and uh, the people who make OBS for making this possible. <laughs> uh, well, I guess I should specify uh, I'm working on because Evelyn the Covetous, uh, because my partner's name is Evelyn. So I was like, this is kind of required. But I showed her the card and she was like, she's ugly. And I was like, yeah. Well. <laughs> <laughs> I, I didn't design the artwork and she's probably like one of those vampires that like gets withered and gross and because she hasn't fed. I don't know. <laughs> proxy, proxy your partner in. <laughs> uh, that, that was a thought. I was thinking of maybe trying to take a photo and have somebody make an artist rendition of her and then slam that on there. Uh, w- maybe we will. Otherwise, um, I'm really excited about Luxior, which is a sword yes. that does things for planeswalkers. So I'm looking into building another one of those stone blade type lists uh, with Tevish and Arden because I think Tevish turning into a big ass beater that nobody's going to swing into because their creatures are little that can then ultimate quite easily and uh, steal everyone else's commander just sounds like a blast. Well, I mean, you're definitely on a stone blade kick based upon a certain other circumstance that we'll be talking about in a second. Uh, not to mention building one myself uh, that I mentioned, I think in one of our last episodes, but uh, we have a new altar sleeve that has released. I finally, it's taken me forever, but I've been working with an artist. Uh, his name is Tim. You'll know him as a uh, gold saber tooth on Twitter. He's been doing a lot of cool shit for the community lately. Uh, Fuck yeah. I love it. Is I love it. It's beautiful. And I just got mine today and I'm already debating what I should put it on. Probably going to be Minsk when I sleeve that up. Yeah. I ended up throwing mine, I think in my Tevish Chrom list only because I had the Ristic study in there, yeah. uh, which I guess we should mention. This is a, an, the altar sleeve is the channel or the podcast logo uh, it's designed for Ristic study, but because it's kind of a blank slate kind of sleeve, I think you could use it on Esper Sentinel just the same and it would be fine. I have an affiliate link. I'll put it in the show notes. Uh, if you go there or, or just by chance happen upon uh, my store, the, uh, the sleeve is ready to go and available for purchase. Uh, I got some proofs, put one on mine, send them out the rest out to these guys here and, Everybody seems to enjoy it, so I'm happy that it's a, it's a worthwhile project that we finished. Speaking of merchandise, I am also working on a par- partnership with Inked Gaming. Uh, for those of you that watch the gameplay videos on my channel, you've seen my the Possibility Soren playmat. I got it made for myself from them months and months ago, but then in searching for trying to find an uh, equitable way to produce these and sell them. I wasn't really coming across anything that was going to make much financial sense and was also going to cause me headaches, having to ship stuff to everybody all the time. Uh, Mm -hmm. turns out inked gaming has an artist program. So anybody that's a creator or an artist can have their stuff on their site and do the same thing as you do with like say bonfire where people go to the site, they order the the mat that they want. You can get, have them in various colors, which I'm planning on doing. They pull the trigger and gaming makes the stuff, ships it to them and I get a cut. And I'm happy with that. I don't need to make a fortune. I want people to have the cool merch that they're looking at. Um, I also wanted it for myself. I basically did all of this stuff to make the stuff for myself. And I'm just happy that other people enjoy it as well. Yeah. Paid sponsorship out of the way, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> that was some free advertising. <laughs> Next up is our current events section. 
I'm going to let you start this one off, Beth, because I know you were talking about some events that are happening, and then we can roll into mine. Yeah, so I am friends with a couple smaller streamers, and one of the things that's happening right now, I think in the next week or two, is PAX in uh, Pittsburgh. So that's happening. A lot of people are going to that. But then one that wasn't on my radar, just events to go to and things to do, was DreamHack in Dallas. And there's actually another one in Atlanta, which I probably will end up going to. But I thought that DreamHack was purely just video games. I did some research and they're actually also inviting magic creators. So if you are a magic creator, which I think I'm in a room full of them right now, there's actually a link for you to apply and they might check you out and accept you as a creator for Dallas. So if you're interested in that, I will make sure the link's available to you. They did a magic, a dream hack magic event last year. So they're doing it again this year. And it's basically, you can get accepted there by being a WPN qualifier at your local WPN store, but it's part of the pro tour And there's also some other experiences there. There's another one in Atlanta. Like I said, I didn't realize that it was a thing, but it's a thing. So DreamHack Magic is coming up and DreamHack Atlanta and Dallas is coming up. So I would understand if they were like inviting or picking up people that were like arena streamers. Because that would make sense because it's still video games. But like having the whole encompassing creator sphere being part of it is kind of cool um i don't know what i would do if i got invited to something like that oh uh, here's my business card like you can check out shit on the internet (laughs) i'm not really sure like and i but i know the players that i know that are going are commander players so i don't know what else there is apparently there's some casual events there's a magic artist alley so if you're a magic artist and then there's commander at dreamhack I was going to say, I would imagine that there's like probably like a play space where people can just hook up and and play some games. Yeah. So they have events available for our command zone players. I don't know what that means, but there's a cosplay and art competition, the command zone and two 10K open events on Saturday and Sunday. Uh, if it's anything like the last one that I went to, it wasn't DreamHack. It was uh, the Channel Fireball stuff that they've been yeah. doing. They used to always host the GPs. Uh, and then they changed the name to Magic Fest a few years back, right before, the year before the pandemic, the last time I went uh, in Vegas. And they that year, they had created a spot that they called the Command Zone. And it was a roped-off area. And you had to have paid a particular fee to be able to get like tickets to play in that. But if you were there... You, I mean, as far as like pre-purchase packages. Um, otherwise, yeah. if you were there, you could buy whatever tickets to go and play in that area. For whatever access you had to pay, you could sit there and play with anybody uh, that had yeah. paid for that access as well. And you got stuff for it. It wasn't just like pay an entry fee. It was like pay this fee. We're going to give you all this cool shit. And then yeah. you have this special little place to play. But then there was like basically the free-to-play tables like off to the right. side. So yeah. either way. Yeah, I just, it was really interesting to me. And I've never really gotten into magic events before this last year when I started going to my LGS. So I've gotten like really intensely looking at what else is going on. And especially since we're, I guess, opening up after COVID. I don't know what to call it because we're not post COVID, but like we're post rules. We're post giving a shit. (laughs) Fuck. (laughs) 
so I so I don't I don't know. Like I I live in the South and I feel like I've been post COVID since April 2021 when it comes to giving a shit about the rules. Not me yeah. personally, but where I live. I think that's <laughs> just America in general. Oof. But yeah, so we are. I'm looking at events and looking at like seeing people in person and don't get me wrong. I love playing commander online and I've started to love it more than I do in person. But I also want like this idea of like seeing people that I've met online and having these places to meet in person again. The only thing that sucks about it is I get the COVID issues and fears and anxiety. Yeah. Like we want to have that sort of space to play with these cool people we've met. And I've already talked to a, at least a couple dozen people about if Vegas happens this year, we're going and we're meeting up and somebody's pitching in on an Airbnb or we're getting a big ass fucking hotel room and we're all going to jam games outside of the convention as well. The issue of having to go to a place where it's hundreds of people, if not thousands, depending, you know, I, yeah. I'm not really into the idea of hanging out with it was already bad enough when it was just jokes about sweaty nerds you know now it's right also sweaty nerds that might get you deathly ill (laughs) yes exactly (laughs) yeah it's it's definitely one of those things where it's like i'm tentatively excited but at the same time i'm like am i gonna die but then like the concept of all of you guys possibly going to an event and then i'm like oh but i could maybe make it or like Dallas coming up for me is a day's drive. So I'm like, oh, we could get an Airbnb. Exactly what you're saying. And then I'm like, and then you die. So it's definitely one of those things that I think everybody needs to, you know, take into their own risk assessment of whether or not they're going to do these things. But it's something that I'm tentatively excited about. Yeah, I'm looking forward to that kind of thing, too. But it's just, hey, get get vaccinated. Wear a mask. It's not a big deal. Like, we can yeah. do it. And we can get there. And we can have a good time. So I know that there's that. And I've, I, same as you said, I, I saw a lot of stuff on, on Twitter, social media, et cetera, that uh, a bunch of people were talking about another one in Columbus, um, something. Mm-hmm. I don't know if it was. Yeah. A, it wasn't yeah. DreamHack. I think it was a Star City Games thing. Yeah, 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 yeah. Star City Games has the Pittsburgh one that's coming up at the end of May, uh, at, sorry, end of April. Then there's Syracuse in uh, just after uh, Independence Day weekend. Then we've got Baltimore in August and Columbus in September. So people are starting to ramp up and figure out their convention plans, essentially. Right. Yeah, I, I, th- I think that there's something to be said about getting back to it. I, I agree with you. I've been kind of isolated during this whole COVID thing. I mean, I still go to work. I interact with those people. But as far as like social things, I haven't done much. And all of my socialization pretty much takes place online with these people outside of a couple friends that I play that I know in real life that I play like video games with, but that's still not like actually hanging out. It's, it's like you said, it's, it's something to be tentatively excited about and something we might be able to do, but uh, I'm hoping that everybody still remains safe. We don't see a bunch of, you know, spikes in, in COVID stuff again. During part of this convention season, there's another big thing that's happening. We already talked about it a little bit, but it's the Major League Commander tournament that is put on by the Mind Sculptors and a bunch of other people. Uh, Monarch is the team that is streaming it, who also streamed some stuff for uh, Marchesa that just happened last month. A couple big, bigger known names in the CDH community, they're coming together trying to make this tournament that's mostly content creators, but also other people that are just prominent players in the community 
prior to the last episode that we recorded, uh, we were going into draft at that point. The draft has now happened. Deck, deck lists were submitted earlier this week, right? Yesterday, I think, was the cutoff. They did an extension. There we go. Uh, because some people were having issues. But yeah, the, so deck lists have been finalized and submitted. The draft was, was crazy. Uh, it's not something I've ever participated in. Obviously, most tournaments, it's you built your own deck. You're going to take it there. You're going to play it and see how far you can get. And that's about it. This is run a little bit differently, more like a sports-themed uh, sort of show. Because if you think about it, most sports uh, organizations have a draft. So in this case, it was basically a list of quote unquote players, but they're actually decks uh, that were accepted by them as being the ones off the database and some others that they added in that were all peer reviewed and accepted as being some of the best, if not the best decks out there. And then those are drafted by there was 32 of us and we all got to draft four decks. So there was a little bit of holdover. Uh, The draft happened. I ended up picking up. First pick, Minsk, which was amazing because Jim from the Spike Feeders was the pick after me, and I had heard some chatter that he was interested in Minsk, and I probably should have picked like Mad Farm or something else that was still available, something else that I was good with, but I love Minsk. It's a good list, and I'm already very comfortable with it because I've been playing it since spoiler season back then, and it was just hilarious because I picked it, and then Jim was on the clock, and he was like give me a random because I was going to pick Minsk. And I was like, yes, all of the research worked out. So uh, I ended up grabbing that. Uh, and then second round, I picked up Yuriko, which is a doomsday list. Uh, third round, I grabbed my baby off the DDB, uh, which is Sithis. And then fourth pick, I was, I had some options, the things that were still available after I made my pick in round three, but come round four, Quite a few of the other things that I had on my list of of alternate picks were pretty much gone. Uh, So I ended up going with a Bant Stoneblade list, which is Arden and Thrasios. Made some tweaks to the other list kind of to make it more similar to what I had going on with my own creation. But now I have blue and counterspells and stuff like that. So feels good Uh, in practice. It's been doing okay, but I have yet to not to win. So not really sure, but that's why I'm practicing and um, if anybody out there that knows me wants to get practice games in, I'm down because I got to get the reps in. But otherwise, uh, MLC starts in a little while. Uh, May 7th is the first week. I don't play that week. That's the other conference. Um, they have their first week that, that week. And then the following weekend on the 14th is when I play. So I will be recording uh, those videos. So and probably doing a host stream on my stream so people can watch it. Hell yeah. And then... Uh, We'll see. It's gonna be it's gonna be a thing for the next couple months. You can expect to hear more about this. So our main conversation topic for this episode is the new set that's coming out uh, this weekend. Well, pre-releases this weekend, uh, official releases in a week, uh, and that's for Streets of New Capenna. This is a mobster mafia themed plane that uh, is run by a bunch of demons, uh, although not all traditional demons. Some being, what, dragons and other things. Bird. Yeah, there's a few variations of demons that lead some families, the crime families of this place. Uh, So it has a very Art Deco, roaring 20s sort of feel to the design. Uh, Definitely very mafioso sounding card names. Uh, It's on theme for flavor. 
As far as cards, though, I'm not sure that we're all going to agree that this is an amazing set, which I am somewhat disappointed in, being that it's a three-color set, and I knew there was going to be these particular three-color pairs, like Grixis and Esper, color pairings that I really enjoy, and I would love to have new toys for. And yet, somehow it feels kind of empty and soulless. So that's my initial take on it. But uh, if you guys want to give any sort of overarching feeling on the set before we dive into specific cards, uh, now's the time. Take the floor. Uh, yeah, like I love Esper. It's probably my favorite three color to play. So I was really excited to uh, see what Obscure was going to be like. And I like it. It's about drawing cards. So uh, I'm pretty fucking stoked on that. Yeah, I would say that Esper did end up being kind of one of the better ones, um, which is it's good. Uh, I was surprised that Grixis was as weak as it is, I think. Yeah, I was uh, when we like just going through the set. I was kind of surprised that, yeah, the Grixis cards didn't really stand out that much to me. I think the uh, casualty ability is cool, but uh, yeah. I don't know how powerful they are. Right. For me personally, I feel as though the set was maybe fractured in terms of what exactly they wanted it to be in terms of beyond, beyond kind of setting up these three color uh, crime families. They had that in mind, but in terms of what direction each family was going in, there, there is some general overarching direction, but at least when it comes to legendary creatures and or supporting elements, it feels to me that it was just disjointed in terms of like, this one's about card draw. This one's about discard. This one's about counters. And then it just, it, I, I, I understand the family and so like that, but it seemed like we only got maybe like one or two cards, at least for commander players and or CEDH players, that we only got maybe like one or two like pieces out of each that would be supporting characters in either existing decks or new new decks that may pop up. I, I agree with that. Uh, there, there are some toys, for sure. There are some cards oh, in here that I feel will become staples and will, you know, at least until the next thing that's like it, but slightly better is printed, which just tends to be the way of, of this game. I think the real problem with this set is that I really, really want to be excited. Like I'm excited for the grown up theme because like I'm a grown up and like I'm excited for the mafia feel and the Italian feel of it. Angels, demons, all that stuff gets me super excited. But, and this is a big, but as a newer player coming back to Magic in the last year or so, I feel like I haven't even taken a breath from the last three sets. And I am kind of like looking at the calendar and looking at releases for the entire year. And I can't say that there's one release that I'm like, nah, except Fortnite. And so I'm just like, holy crap, there's so many cards to buy and look at and put in decks and so I actually, some of my favorite decks, my Lisa deck, my Chatterfang deck, my uh, Rick deck, my Ur-Dragon, all of my decks that I really love and been playing, I they're just pulled half apart because I'm waiting for cards from New Capenna that I know are coming. A little bit of product fatigue for all of us in various stages of our careers. And- yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it definitely happens. I think that there's kind of a theme of that where they have like a set that like Kamigawa that's pretty much universally loved and had some push stuff in it. And just people were very happy. They were hyped for it. And then they were happy with the result. 
And this is kind of the opposite where it's like the hype is there. Uh, but then as spoilers were being revealed, it was like, okay, I see one thing. Okay. I see two things. Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, okay. I've seen most of the set. I'm not really that excited. Like, okay, the set's out and I don't really care. I think, I think, I think actually like my, like initial opinion of the set was, and maybe this is just my opinion universally on different uh, sets that come out is when there's usually a one-off set or a plane that we haven't visited before. My thought process is, is how can we get back to this plane within a couple of years? Or is this going to be a guilds of Ravnica, Ravnica allegiance type of situation where we get one after the other, a, a set of two, or in the case of like, War of the Spark storyline, like, are we going to get a lead-up that progresses the overarching story further? Like, in terms of that synergy and that desire as a player and lover of the lore, I'm kind Mm -hmm. of, like, trying to figure out exactly where Streets of New Capenna falls within that. Obviously, we have the literature, we have the lore that's been established through the cards, and uh, the stories have been told off of the Wizards website, but... For me, it's like, how can we incorporate Streets of New Capenna sometime in the future? And maybe that feeds into my somewhat disinterest. Yeah, I, I can understand that, too, because, like, when Eldraine was spoiled. Indeed. Yes. I remember thinking, like, what the fuck is this? Like, why are we going to some fairy tale land that's, you know, not what we kind of come to expect? And I, I can see the same disconnect with people that were upset about the new Kamigawa because of it being in the future and there being mechs and stuff, them being like, well, this isn't fantasy magic and blah, 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 get this out of here. But then everybody was quick to point out, did you look at Urza Saga's block? Like, yes. Yeah. They have have fucking fighting robots. Right. And then, (laughs) and then Phyrexians, like that's basically the Borg. It's, it's always been sci-fi slash fantasy. They just leaned more into the fantasy and traditional, you know, Arthurian tropes. I think, we're giving too much of a, an overall negative feeling about the set. Let's let's actually deep dive into some of these cards and talk about what we are excited for because there is something Absolutely. in here that we're into. We're not trying to be overly negative. First, before we dive into individual cards, uh, I'd like to talk about at least the new mechanics. I like to point out what new mechanics are there so that we can kind of have those in our head as we're going through the set. What I saw looking through the cards, I don't think I missed any. But uh, the newest mechanics that I saw were uh, Casualty, Connive, Blitz, and Alliance. These seem to be the most overarching themes in the set. They're mostly tied to the individual families, though. The Brokers had shield counters. Um, yeah, they have the shield counters. Wait, but those were basically just reused mass counters. Yeah, but that was kind of like that was like their mechanic. Sure, um, and, that, and that's probably why I missed it. They're all pretty good and on on theme with some of the other cards that are in those family colors uh casualty so as you cast the spell you may sacrifice a creature with power x so it'll say casualty one and you have to sacrifice a creature with power one or or greater greater. Uh, and then when you do that as part of the cost of the spell you get to copy it and copy effects can be very powerful and i think in a couple cases some of the cards with casualty on them are very powerful in other cases, they're middling, and in some cases, it's it probably doesn't really matter. Um, but it's still a new mechanic that is worth checking out, and we will on some of the, the new cards. The next one is Connive, which is essentially a looting effect. Uh, you get to draw a card and discard a card. 
uh, and then put a 1-1 counter on the creature for each non-land card discarded this way. This is when it's on combat damage, I believe. Uh, it's declared as an attacker. Uh, so, uh, and, and attack. Some of them render the battlefield, too. So it, depending, once a specific clause is met, then you get to connive. Uh, mm-hmm. So it is it is card selection, um, and some of the cards that have connive on them can be used similarly to a card that just said draw a card, because the discarding part doesn't matter if you're able to draw your whole deck. You're discarding half of it, but you don't care because you want your deck gone. Or you can filter through your deck really fast, like the Mythic right. uh, Sphinx with connive X is like, you can get a lot of card selection pretty fast. Right. And then if you are built to take advantage of the fact that you're going through your entire library, uh, you also can do things like time twister loops and just get it all back and go through it again because you're conniving so many times that you're going to uh, do it again or do it again and go through. And, yeah. Reanimate so, some fucked up 10 drop. <laughs> um, next one is Blitz. So this Blitz is an alternate cost. Uh, and it'll say, it'll give you whatever the, the cost may be. And then if you cast a spell for its blitz, blitz cost, it gains haste. And when this creature dies, draw a card. And then it also has the clause of sacrifice at the beginning of the next end step. So it's kind of like dash, but instead of dash, it's uh, uh, where it goes back to your hand. It just dies. But you get the card back. So it's kind of the same idea. It's just a little bit different. Uh, and then lastly, there's Alliance, which is... It'll be a various effect. The effect is not the same, but the the cause is. It's whenever another creature enters the battlefield under your control, and then a various effect will happen. Um, those are all going to be good in creature-based decks, obviously, or token decks. And some of them are actually kind of busted, but again, we'll get into those later. And then as it was pointed out to me, the other new mechanic is the shield uh, tokens, which are essentially the mast tokens that uh, Esther, the mast, uh, used to make back in what 2018 or whatever that was uh same idea where basically the token is on there whenever it would be dealt damage you remove the token and it lives um so it's kind of like an indestructible counter kind of like a a totem armor except with uh, the enchantment clause yeah yeah all right so that, that basically covers uh the new mechanics and we will end up seeing some of those on these cards there are some returning mechanics made as a cycle in this set. One of the ones that we've seen before in Ravnica. And in Shards. And in yeah, lots of other sets. Say, basically, anytime that there was color pairings, uh, we've seen these when that was the main theme of the set. Uh, and that's Charms. Uh, in this set, there are the five families, the Brokers, the Maestros, the Cabaretti, Obscura, and Riveteers. Each one has a charm. Each one has an ascendancy. In both cases... I don't really think any of them are really CDH playable. I was less interested, so didn't really go into like, where can these go? I'm sure somebody will find a place for them. I'm sure they'll be used, especially in casual. But uh, from my evaluation going through the set, I wasn't super excited about them. Yeah, none of them really spoke to me. They were just like cards that maybe will be players in standard. Not the charms aren't good in casual. They're modal spells. Just none of the modes were like really that dynamic. Yeah, I mean, like if you look at the broker's charm, it's three, it's bant, so green, white, blue. So it gets plus one plus zero and deals that damage to a creature or planeswalker, or you can destroy an enchantment, or you can draw two cards. Three mana draw two is not awful. So like it's removal or draw, and that's fine, but it's not good enough, I don't think, for most decks. Like it's it's kind of an on theme thing. These are, you know, limited cards, really. 
the uh, ascendancies are kind of the same. Just none of them are very exciting. I, I don't know that any of them are really going to be used uh, in CDH as far as EDH goes. Yeah, some people might if they're in those colors, and it seems like an effect that works for their strategy. But overall, kind of boring. The Riveteers one is probably the one that'll see play in like John Sacrifice decks in casual. Uh, like whenever that. you sacrifice a creature, you may return that card. Return a creature card with lesser value from a graveyard of the battlefield tapped. Do this once a turn. Yeah, in some sort of aristocratic list, that could be fine. Well, and actually looking at some of the sacrifice stuff in this set, I've been looking at changing the way Negan plays because Negan, obviously, his main goal is to make you sacrifice your creatures. Um, but I have a little bit of a tech in there that makes me take your creatures and then sacrifice them for you. So I'm thinking about leaning more into that. Yeah, well, I mean, like I said, people will likely find places for these cards. I just saw them and was like, eh, no, 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 no. <laughs> for and sure. Moved along. Um, but I still think it's good to talk about the the various cycles because it's, you know, it's tradition, it's history. I love yes. a good cycle. So some of the other ones are, aren't as bad. Those ones aren't, aren't great, but um, they did make another uh, cycle of Triomes. I think this is the, are these enemy color or ally color? These are ally color. Because we already had the enemy from Ikoria. Ikoria. Yeah, so they finished They finished a cycle, essentially. They're the same same function. They have three basic land types. They intertapped. They tap for one of those colors. And you can cycle them for three mana. Triumphs are pretty decent because anything like a nature's lore or a crop rotation, anything that you have that can tutor something with a specific land type uh, can get these. Mm-hmm. You're probably not going to ever play more than one of these. They're great for three color lists. Uh, you're probably not going to run them if you're in anything more than that because you don't want to be running two or three of these. It's just going to kill your mana base. Tap lands are not good. Speaking of tap lands, there's another cycle of uh, duels that ETB tapped, and they have four mana cost ability to sacrifice the land and draw a card. These are brutal it's like you have to tap the land too, so it's like five mana draw a card. Yep. Oof. Yeah, they're not they're not great, but I think in situations where you're stuck, you're playing budget or whatever the case, just having the ability to draw a card when you're in a stalled out state isn't bad. It's the only reason I brought them up. <laughs> not going to see play in most decks, but it is. They have nice. I'd art. still I'd still take it over a, a over a, a guild gate. Yeah, because at okay. least it has the uh, uh, available. You know, yeah, it does something else. I agree with that. Yeah. Uh, and then the last new cycle, there's a cycle of hideaways. Yeah, hideaways. So hideaway was a thing that was introduced. I think it was only in Commander product. Uh, it was in uh, Lorwyn. Okay, they used to be all on lands, and it was a thing where you played the the land and you exiled cards, and then there was a, a condition that had to be met on the card, and then you could you'd have the ability to play that card that you exiled earlier. And this still does the same thing, but the cards aren't lands. They are on enchantment. And each one has hideaway five. So when the you cast the enchantment in ETBs, you look at the top five cards of your library, you exile one face down, put the rest on the bottom in a random order. And then that card stays exiled under your enchantment until you meet a condition to where then you can cast it for free. So just for an example, the uh, blue one is four and a blue, so you pay five, you get to look at top five, you exile a card that you want, you put it under there, and then whenever you draw your first card doing each of your draw steps, draw a card. Then, if you have nine or more cards in hand, you may play the exile card without paying its mana cost. So it's basically extra card draw, and then 
it rewards you for not playing anything basically or doing something else to draw more cards and then you get to cast whatever you exile for free in some situations these aren't going to be as good but in some decks you might be able to find a place where this this is something you can do Uh, and getting being able to get free value off of a spell because it doesn't have any limitations on like the mana cost of that spell so if you're in say a jota list and you play this thing and you exile Kozilek under there. Well, and then you just sit on your on your hand and draw cards until you get to that ninth card. And then you get a free Kozilek. Like, sounds good to me, right? Silly shenanigans. Okay, so that's pretty much all of the cycles. So now we'll jump into the individual colors. We'll go in Wooburg order. Uh, we've got a list up here um, of cards that we're interested in. Okay, so first up... In white, patch up. Sorcery for two colorless and a white. Return up to three target creature cards with total mana value, three or less from your graveyard to the battlefield. So just a quick, uncommon, just quality reanimation piece, maybe for white weenie decks would be my initial impression. Yeah, I could see it being something that you use for, you could get three one drops, or you could get a one drop and a two drop, or you can just get one three drop. Um, honestly, just having the ability, the modal ability there is pretty good. I, I, there, there's going to be weenie decks that are running enough one drops to where you could get three back. I think in most cases, you're probably going to get a two drop or a three drop, or maybe if you're really lucky, you get a one and a two drop. But regardless, it doesn't cost a lot of mana to do the thing. Yeah, it gives white another avenue of card advantage, too, if you can get back a value piece. Like I was thinking even in my white equipment deck, if I just get a Stoneforge Mystic back one time with that card, that's fucking awesome. Never mind, or like some random hate bear to buy me a little more time that someone blew up. Archon, Gaddic Teague, like they're, 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 there's a whole metric ton of stacks pieces that are three mana value or less. So bring it on. Next up is Halo Fountain, which is a weird new potential win con for any deck that runs white. And a lot of white. Two generic and a white. It's an artifact. Um, you pay one white and tap it to untap a t- uh, tapped creature you control, and then bonus you get a one-one citizen token for two white and tap untap two creatures you control. You get the bonus of drawing a card, and five white tap untap fifteen tap creatures you control. You win the game. So obviously th- this is like a shoe in for like an Adeline list that's just like I'm going to shit out a bunch of one ones over and over and over again. And if I get to a point where nobody stops that, I'm just going to drop this Halo Fountain and after combat, second main, and just win the just game. Win the game. I've been yeah. seeing a lot of jokes, particularly around Shorakai, the um, artifact, the um, artifact vehicle commander that mm-hmm. came out previously. Just if you achieve dramatic reversal, Ice Ground Scepter, create infinite mana of any color, just sink it right into this and go to town. Yeah, well, and also because you're going with that loop, you're also untapping Shorakai. I'm familiar because I play the deck. You untap it and draw it, uh, tap it to draw again. But when you do, you create a creature. You just make all the creatures crew Shorakai. They can all they can overcrew Shorakai. So then they're all tapped. There you go. <laughs> you got the tech. <laughs> <laughs> Cracked it. It's definitely a weird one. Um, it is a unique sort of win con, though. I've never seen anything about untapping creatures to win a game no it's uh it's not quite lab man but it's cool yeah it's got it's got a lot of setup it's not going to be the thing that like people are writing home to mom about but i think it's still definitely interesting enough to include in some lists absolutely i think it'd be cool to lose to oh absolutely (laughs) 
I mean, if they could pull it, it's kind of like a coalition victory. Like if, if you got to pull that, pull that off, like high five, like good for you, dude. Get, <laughs> get your opponent's signature on that mounted frame. It done. <laughs> it's like, uh, when I put happily ever after into my Kenrith deck exactly. and like, I never expect to win with it. I did once just because somebody wanted to see what, how that was going to happen. But <laughs> one time is not like, uh, oh, yeah, this is a dangerous win con, guys. Oh, yeah. No, and even in the way that we described it, I think it's more of a shoe in for like an Adeline deck because there you are going to build up that that those creatures over time. Right. And people are going to do stuff to try and stop you. But if they can't, then you're just like, okay, now I drop this thing and I win. But uh, even in Shorkai, like you're already doing Isochron, you can already draw your deck, you can already play Athasis. Why do you even need this? Like it's yeah, it's, it's funny. It's it's a thing. It but gives it's you not body. It gives you body you advantage. To. It gives you pseudo vigilance. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, it, it it definitely has very niche uses. Speaking of fountains or something kind of like fountain, it's uh, Giada fa- Font of Hope. This is a interesting new uh, angel. It's, I think it's going to be a pretty decent deck. I see this being a, in casual, more of a just angel tribal deck. Uh, it does the thing. It actually is kind of better than what the mono white angel tribal was before with, uh, what's Lira. her name? Yeah. Uh, she's, she's a great card, uh, giving the, the plus one plus ones to, I mean, it's going to go in the 99 of this deck, obviously. Oh, 100%. But, it's uh, going in the 99 of Liesa for sure. Oh, uh, that too. Yeah, I mean, it'll fit mm-hmm. into any angel deck already, but I think just as, by itself as a commander itself, uh, I've already seen people talking about it. I, I'm sure Charles, the mono white guys, they're probably already on it. I know it's going to be a I know impressive stack list. The comedian as well has also been exploring it as a fun mono white uh, stacks wing color stacks list as well. I I have a draft because I, I built Adeline and I liked it, but I. Same with, like, I built Oswald, and I liked it, too, but eventually I get bored and then I move on. This is my new mono-white project, I think. Uh, I like the idea of flying angels that nobody can block and then getting huge pretty quickly because all you have to do is play two or three, and now all of a sudden you've got six sixes flying around. Uh, I think it'll get out of control pretty quick, but let's read the card here. One white, one generic, two two, flying vigilance angel. Uh, Each other angel you control enters the battlefield with an additional one one counter on it for each angel you already control. It can also tap to add one white uh, that can only be uh, used to cast angel spells. So it itself is a dork to help ramp into your bigger angels. Uh, but then each angel enters with, I'm sorry, first one enters gets 2-2 two, two because she herself is an angel. Right. Second one gets 3-3. Three, three. Next one gets 4-4. Four, four. Uh, that can get out of hand really fucking fast. And nobody's, swinging, uh, nobody's got enough blockers to, to deal with that. Especially if you're already throwing down rule of laws and other things to stop them from casting pretty much anything. So I, I think this deck is going to have some legs. I don't know if it's going to run Halo Fountain. It could for flavor, I suppose. Hot take. I think that this particular angel is going to supplant Lyra Dawnbringer or Avacyn Angel of Hope on EDH Rec as the number one mono-white angel commander very quickly. I feel that too, and I think that oh, those will just end up being in the 99. Exactly. It's more aggressively costed, obviously. It feels like it, it ramps, helps yeah. ramp you into yeah. It's just it's just better design overall for an angel. So yeah, I think I think we're all pretty high on that one. Uh, next up, rumor gatherer. This is a two white and one colorless uh, two one elf wizard. Uh, this has one of the new mechanics, alliance. So whenever another creature enters the battlefield under your control, you scry one. 
But if this is the second time this ability has resolved its turn, draw a card instead. So every time you play a creature, you're going to scry, except for the second time. So you play if you play three creatures in a turn, you're going to scry, then draw, then scry. Anything after that will just be scry as well. But regardless, in a white weenie deck, this is some extra card draw each turn because you're going to be able to do that. I mean, if it was a green card, it would be draw a card for every fucking creature you play, but they already have that. <laughs> so yeah. white is getting a little bit of the love here and there, but it's not not amazing. Next one is Citizen's Crowbar. One and uh, one colorless, one white for an artifact equipment. When it when Citizen's Crowbar ETBs, create a one, one green and white citizen creature token, then attach Citizen's Crowbar to it. Equip creature gets plus one plus one and has the activated ability one white and tap sacrifice citizens crowbar destroy target artifact or enchantment and it has equip two for its um, equipment cost. The closest thing I can really compare this to would probably be Cathar Commando, which we received a few sets ago. I think it's interesting from the perspective that two mana comes down, creates a body attaches to it, has the ability to destroy an artifact or equipment after it's no longer summoning sick, but also can just be a 2-2 two, two for 2 with some dexterity to it, and it doesn't uh, force you to sacrifice the creature at the end. It's not bad. Uh, I think it, it depends on the kind of list that you're running, if it's something that you want. Um, I think maybe lower-colored lists that are running white, just to have that extra removal effect We'll, we'll like this. Mm-hmm. I think when you start getting up into four or five colors, you probably have better options. Right. For for me, it's been uh, something that I'm considering trying to find a slot for in a Metalcraft Winota variant because this hmm. creates um, an additional artifact that's artifact, out there, yeah. but also allows you to uh, have that de- dexterity of destroying something. Plus, also, it creates a non-human. Oh right, yeah, non-human. That makes sense. Yeah. I'm I'm curious as to what your your metalcraft Winota is going to look like because that sounds cool. But I, I mean, uh, I mean, I mean, it's a it, it's predicated around Jorkadine as one of the major win cons in terms of beats. So, so so really, that's mostly where it where it ends. But but this is just another piece. So that that's all we had for white. Um, we are going to now move on to blue. Uh, first one up here is hypnotic grifter. Which is a one blue cost one two human rogue. You can pay three mana and make it connive. Uh, this is another one of those new mechanics we talked about earlier. Uh, when a creature connives, you draw a card, then discard a card. If you discard a non land, you put a one one counter on the creature. So, as an ability and as a creature, this is kind of blah, but it's essentially a new spectral sailor that just doesn't have flash or flying. A little bit bigger butt, but the mana cost is three instead of four for the connive, and obviously connive is a little different than drawing a card, but same effect that this could be another piece that you threw into a Kinnon list, just like you would have a Spectral Sailor in there, so that when you do get your Basalt Monolith and have infinite colorless mana, you can just dump this into the thing and draw through your deck. So definitely a card that we'll most likely see playing in lists that are on on anything that makes infinite mana. Um, not that it's better than Spectral Sailor, but just because it's a redundant effect. And if that's what your deck has tried to do at all times, that seems to be something you'd want, is to have that redundancy. Yeah, it doesn't also require colored mana. Right. 
next one is a little chat. Blue and one colorless. Uh, it has one of the new mechanics, Casualty, on it. And that is probably the only reason why it's even something I consider ha- being playable. There's another, there's other cards like this, but it says, look at the top two cards of your library, put one of them into your hand, and the other on the bottom of your library. Uh, there's other cards like Anticipate and a few others that do similar things, but it's usually like three cards or maybe five cards. And you put sometimes you put them on top, bottom, and graveyard, etc. But it's just another one of those types of spells. It's card selection, a little bit of advantage, sort of. Uh, but the casualty makes it interesting. So it has casualty one. So again, as you cast the spell as an extra cost, you sack a creature with power one or greater. And then you get a copy of this. So two mana, sacrifice a token that you have you don't give a shit about. You get to look at top four, essentially, and put two in your hand, put two on the bottom. That's pretty good for two mana, I think. Yeah, I agree. Also, the makes a copy so if you're on any kind of magecraft shit you get two different triggers yeah store any storm list is gonna love this another one that's kind of similar is uh another one mana blue instant uh it's called slip out the back <laughs> and it's a weird kind of modal card in that you put a one one counter on target creature and then it phases out if you can kind of use it on your own creature to make it bigger and, and to protect it or if somebody is stopping you from winning the game because they have this particular hate bear out you can just phase it out for one mana and then go about with your plan. Remove someone's Thrasios while they're attempting to go off, cycle through their deck, win the game. Yeah, Right. Similar like Dress Down. You know, you can kind of just shut off whatever the fuck is doing the thing to win if it's a creature. Indeed. But, you know, speaking of blue interaction, uh, there's a new counter spell that a lot of people were pretty, pretty high on. And then I started to see more people being like, eh, I don't know. It's kind of competing for the same slot in a lot of decks, so that might make it less popular. Uh, But the card is an offer you can't refuse. An ode to the Godfather. Uh, It's a blue instant, one one blue counter-target, non-creature spell. Its controller creates two treasure tokens. So you have the upside of it's non-creature, so if you put it in the same slot as like Dispel or Spell Pierce, etc., a lot of those only hit instants. Some only hit instants and sorceries, and then some hit non-creatures. So that's the upside is it's non-creature, uh, and it's not like pay mana so they can get around it. It's just counter it. But then the downside of giving them mana. So that mana might be... You might be countering something, and that mana is just enough. Like You countered their commander that they were going to win with automatically, but then you gave them two treasures, and then they're like, oh, well, that's just enough for me to recast my commander and try to win again. That could be a pretty big downside, although I don't think that that's going to happen very often. I don't know. What do you guys think? Uh, I like I like it in Kark, Karkashima, because you could just counter your own spell and start bouncing your shit back to your hand. Oh, that's or fucking counter disgusting. counter your copies and just start stacking treasures. <laughs> that seems really gross. Uh, uh, yeah. In CDH, I don't know if I'd want to play it outside of that because I'd be afraid of, like you say, you give them the two treasures and they just fucking win with it. And it happened to me about once and I'd cut the card. Uh, in casual, though, I think it's stronger because the resources you're giving people aren't, they're like, be harder for them to use it against you dynamically. If you can do something like stop a board wipe for one mana. I think it's more of a protection spell. Or like you said, uh, something you build around to abuse for yourself with in the instance of Krark. But even then, see, that, that still has a big downside. Because if you are using it just for protection, you're about to go combo off. 
and somebody t- tries to counter you and you just counter them back and you give them treasures, maybe that's the treasures that they need for the other counter spell in their hand. So it's it's risky. Like I put it in my Evelyn build just because it's new and it's like, well, fuck it, we'll try it out here. It's not an established list, so why not? But uh, yeah, like you said, I think you might accidentally fuck yourself with it a time or two and then just be like, yeah, I'm, I'm done. Yeah, there's a lot of cheap counter spells out there that can fill a very similar role, and I right. don't like getting stung by my own magic cards. Yeah, <laughs> it's a it's a rough learning experience too when when you do. So another one that uh, I found kind of interesting. Uh, there are other cards like this that do basically the same thing, but it's just a new version of that. And in decks that care about auras or just want to have more of of that type of permanent slash removal it's a thing so it's uh one blue it's called witness of protection it's an aura enchant creature it loses all abilities and becomes the thing in this set is green and white citizen creatures named legitimate business person which i think is the best part of it <laughs> i love that part thousand percent yes so this one i don't think is really good for cdh at all this is kind of one that i highlighted for more casual lists but uh anybody who likes mill I think we'll probably like this. I think, you know, Bruvac lists or themed decks will, will probably enjoy it. It's called Cut Your Losses. It's a sorcery for uh, four and two blue. It has casualty two. So you'll have to sack a power two or greater creature to copy this. But it says target player mills half their library rounded down. That's big mill. And I think if you have Bruvac out, doesn't that just do that, the whole thing? That. That that eliminates one in, uh, player's library, yes. And if you can sack and do it, you could do two people, if I'm not mistaken, in one go. Start. Playing, That's pretty good. Start playing French. Start playing dual commander off of that card. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, they already had it with uh, traumatized. Can also mill. Traumatized was a library. library. Well, yeah. yeah. Um, yeah, so I mean, there's already cards that do this, but just having another one, if you're in a dedicated mill list, I think this is a slam dunk, especially because in casual, you're going to be able to get to, to six mana pretty quickly. Uh, even in CDH, you could. I, I don't know. I, I've never seen a CDH mill deck, but I, I assume that they exist. I think it's just another cool tool for, for mill decks. Like, like I said, I don't play mill personally, but I've played against it plenty. It's probably a bomb in, in standard as well. Uh, one that I am more excited about for... CDH, though, is uh, Ledger Shredder. It's quite possibly one of the best creatures in the set. I mean, arguably. For one in a blue, 1-3 flying Bird Advisor, uh, whenever a player casts their second spell each turn, Ledger Shredder connives. So it's not as good as Krom. People uh, immediately compared it to Krom. It is a Krom-like effect. However, it's not just opponents. It counts yourself. So if you're doing any sort of storm stuff, you're going to connive two. Connive as well, not the number two. Um, so again, with the connive, you draw discard, get a count counter if it's a non-land. So this is basically just, you slam this guy down early. It, it's going to go great in conjunction with your mystic remora, your Ristic study. If you're in Azorius, you know, you also got your smothering type. I mean, it's just another tax you can put on the board where you get just incidental value from, uh, and you might only connive once a go round on your turn, but you're still doing it. So, I mean, it's, it's advantage. It's a body. It's evasive. Yeah, I'm already considering it for some of my lists. Yeah, I mean, it's it's great in a lot of circumstances. Yeah, the fact that you only need to connive three times in order for it to start blocking Krom is absurd. 
and that can just happen. <laughs> yeah, I wasn't even quickly. thinking about that. It does get the counter, so with, very quickly it can become a beater in its own right. If you're going first and you have this in your opener and you drop it on turn one, mm-hmm. you're likely to have like a what three five flyer by the time it comes back to you, and you've already drawn and look look through four cards. You got no, it. That's awesome. that's super. That's super good value. It's definitely a slam dunk. Um, and then I did not put this one in here. I don't know what this one does. All seeing arbiter, I put it in. Oh, yeah, for sure. It is a four blue blue for a five four flying avatar. When it enters the battlefield or attacks, draw two cards, then discard a card. So it's uh, like a titan, like grave titan. Mm-hmm. And uh, whenever you discard a card, target creature an opponent controls gets minus X minus zero until your next turn, where X is the number of different mana values among cards in your graveyard. You're going up a card every time, but you're seeing three. Discarding fuels breach. So if you're in those colors, that's good. And then just the incidental value of like every time you discard a card, you're making something a little smaller for uh, until your next turn cycle. Yeah, so if somebody has a big beater that they're pressuring your life total with, you can kind of get rid of it with this. Yeah, yeah. it's a 5-4 in the air. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And it gives you draw to discard like gets through your deck faster. I'm I'm pretty much a fan of it. No, actually now that I've looked at it more closely and thought about it, it it's actually pretty good. Well, I guess because I'm used to like arbitrarily playing big expensive cards like because i have my dragons deck and my angels deck and those are like my best decks mm. i am all i like mana is no value here we just throw it at it all right well moving along we've gotten through the woo part of the berg now let's get to the berg part black is next which is shadow of mortality which is 13 colorless and two black mana pips so total mana value of 15 a 7-7 avatar uh, if your life total is less than your starting life total this spell costs X less to cast where X is the difference so long story it's the new death shadow exactly Um, those of you who don't play anything but commander you probably don't know what I'm talking about but I also don't really play anything but commander but I still pay attention to other formats enough to know that uh, there is a death shadow deck in modern that's pretty powerful uh, and it uses a card that's similar, that has the same clause about it costs less because you have less life. And you're in black, so you're going to be doing stuff that makes you lose life. Just having a Bob out, just having a Necropotence out, any of that is going to get you below what do you need to be down to? 26 life, and then it only costs two black pips for a 7-7? Not too bad. I don't know that this is... It's not a CEDH All-Star, I don't think. Somebody might be able to find a way to break it, but... I think that it, I think that it replaces uh, Draco in terms of casual Yuriko decks in terms of a big mana thing that you could actually potentially play at some point instead of it just being a deck. Yeah, I could see, I could see it in Yuriko for sure, for sure. That's um that's a nice fifteen. That's almost half of a player's life in one hit off bada Yuriko. Bing, bada boom, yeah, yeah. That's a lot of damage. I think in in casual too, uh, or anything where you're playing a reanimation package, I. Uh, you know, you're not casting it. You can just bring it out for a one black with a reanimate. Well, you're going to dome yourself for a lot. With that. <laughs> yeah, Bad example. <laughs> uh, yeah. Animate maybe, dead. Maybe I'll say, yeah, maybe animate dead. Let's play it a little safer. Right. Yeah. If you can, you can bring it back uh, on the cheap, you know, turn one or two, or two you got a seven, seven. It's going to put in some damage before it dies. So it could see uses. Oh, it was Vile Smasher. If you yeah. can cast it. Right? <laughs> yeah. 
Well, you're only casting it for two. It still has yeah. a CMC of 15. Yeah, yeah so that's smash. <laughs> I mean, that's pretty good for Vile Smasher as well. This is another one that's potentially pretty spicy no matter what power level that you're playing at. This one's a cut of the profits. It's X and two black. Sorcery, casualty three. So it does cost you a little bit as far as you have to have something out that's three power or more to be able to sacrifice. The X is you draw X cards and lose X life. Now, granted, you can. this can be basically a adnaz in a sense because you're or even a peer because you're probably going to lose half your life if you have the mana uh but then being able to copy it and get double you're still losing the life so you have to it's it's one of those things you got to be careful with how you play this but if you have the ability to sack that creature and you can do this for an amount of mana that isn't going to kill you it's pretty close to a win con like i feel like this is kind of like the casual ad if that makes sense yeah i play a, a zach sar list and i'll play downble pack there i'll draw like 10 cards with it it'll be sweet and this is going to be the same thing except for you're gonna draw 20 cards and lose 20 life but you're probably gonna dig and get your win con right because you already have half of it in your hand when you do this right yeah you know? you're gonna have lots of mana i'm i'm all about it yeah, I, th- I think it's I think it's a, a good card. I, I don't know how often people are going to kill themselves with it, but it's interesting. I, I'm, I might test it out in a list or two. So kind of keeping with the theme of uh, aristocrats and uh, that kind of stuff that's going on with black uh, is Body Launderer. Two colorless, two black for a 3-3 three, three Ogre Rogue with Death Touch. Whenever another non-token creature you control dies, Body Launderer connives. And when it dies, return another target non-rogue creature card with equal or lesser power from your graveyard to the battlefield. There are two types of ways you would probably look at Aristocrats list. There are those that make focus on making a lot of tokens, token creatures, so that they can sack those for value. Um, and then there's the other portion of like the kind of the reanimate reanimation style where you have stuff like grave crawler or um, blood, blood gas reassembling skeleton, anything that where you can sack it, it's non-token. So you get more value off of some of these pieces that require a non-token. And then you're just bringing that same thing back to eventually kind of find a loop to kill everyone, but it just getting general value off of it as you go. This is just another piece of the puzzle. It goes in there with Pitiless Plunderer and other cards because it gets bigger as you're killing things. But it's already a 3-3 right off the bat. So just that dying, you can even just sacrifice it immediately and get back a a, Blood Artist or a 2-2 or a 1-1 that has something viable. So it's good recursion on a body. It's also a good blocker because it's got Death Touch. It's also a good attacker because it has Death Touch because people aren't trying to block, you know, something with something bigger that's going to just die to it and then you're going to get something back anyway so you're really not scared to attack with it because it's constantly getting bigger it's got death touch and if it dies you get something something back in return and as it's getting bigger that target becomes a bigger target so i think it's a really good card for aristocrats list i'm not sure that it fits all the way in cdh but it's it's on the cusp i think maybe certain lists might be able to use it possibly marin yeah, I can see it in a deck like Marin for sure. Um, next one is Angel of Suffering. This is uh, three colorless, two black. Five, three, flying nightmare angel. If damage would be dealt to you, prevent that damage and mill twice that many cards. 
Rejoice, so th- Moldrotha and Sir Conrad players. Unite <laughs> under one banner of mill yourself. <laughs> so self-mill decks are going to love this. Because not only is it a big beater to you know, finish off people that are low or protect yourself from birds or other incidental little shit flying at your planeswalkers or whatever, it's good for all of that. Uh, but then also, if you don't want to block, you got plenty of life, you're healthy, you don't care. You want to mill your deck because you're going to win with that Razakets that gets thrown in there and then you, you know, reanimate them or whatever. Uh, yeah, I think I think cool. it's got some some potential. It, also, it's, for casual lists who do play a Shuffle Drazi, this is just a no-brainer. Prevent the damage and just keep oh, on yeah, recycling again lose. over and over again. Well, I mean, hell, there's CDH decks that want to do that too. <laughs> Twister loops and shit, like... It's fine. And if you're on Breach, uh, Grixis lists are going to love this too. If you're on Breach, you're just like not blocking shit and getting milled for a ton. And then you're like, okay, cool. I cast this Breach that's in my hand and I just win. (laughs) Ta-da. Yeah, it's pretty cool. Okay, so uh, last one in black is the Night Clubber. Uh, when Night Clubber enters the battlefield, creatures your opponents control get minus one, minus one until end of turn. It also has that blitz ability that we talked about, so you can play it for two and a black. Um, it gains haste, and when it dies, you draw a card, so you would have to sacrifice it the next end step. Um, but it's normally three costs anyways. You just have to have that two black, so I don't really care about the blitz personally, but I thought it would be really good with Meat Hook Massacre. Um, if you're not quite getting there with Meat Hook, you can pl- bring this in and like just finish it off um, that turn. And it's a 2-2 Human Warrior. Also, I like the fact that it's a Night Clubber, but it's obviously got Lucille in its hands. So that's a whole other thing for another day. It's also unique that it says creatures your opponents control get minus one, minus one. So yes. Yeah. So it isn't exactly a universal effect. I think this is kind of really good in conjunction with some of the other stuff we were talking about that's Aristocrats. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is a great creature to be able to, uh, and this automatically can get recurred by the body launderer because yeah. he comes in as a three, three. So you could literally play this for the blitz cost and then it dies and then you get it back and you could do it again. Uh, I guess that's not same turn, but I'm, I feel like there's a way you could loop this and just kill every, it's a board wipe. Essentially. It's kind of like massacre girl where it just, it goes and then it goes and it goes. If nothing else, just getting rid of, like, say somebody's in a token-making deck like Krenko. This is anti-Krenko tech for days. Because you drop this guy in, it kills all of... Right. Najeel, yes. This is... Wow. This might actually need to go into Timna. This just hoses a fucking Najeela deck. And it kills all the mana dorks at the same time? Right. Mm -hmm. I think even it goes into uh, Najeela (laughs) because it's a warrior and... It's a fucking warrior? No way. Yes, it's a human warrior. Oh, so yeah. it can go into oh, wow. Najila because it drops in and it wipes everybody's it wipes and creatures shit. away. <laughs> and then you just swing in with more warrior. Like, this yeah. is fucking good. Boom. You just, that's a really good uncommon. You get blitz it out. It has haste. So you get the card that, that same turn, wipe everyone's board, make more tokens. Well, and then, like I said, in the aristocrat style, if you have the body launderer, uh, it has to die. But... Uh, when, it, when it dies, it connives, and then you can go and sack it to something and get this back and do it again. If you could do it in twice in one turn, 2-2 two, two is pretty much a guarantee. That's all Norn. When, yeah. when it dies, it draws a card. Honestly, if it could just be used as a reanimation loop target in a Kenrif deck, you if you have mm-hmm. a way to sacrifice it, you continue drawing cards, but you also continue bringing that out as well. That pretty much finishes up black. 
next up, okay, so I did say earlier that Ledger Shredder was probably the best creature in the whole set. It's not the best. It's probably second best, because this is the actual best. This is Professional Facebreaker, which alone is fucking amazing. And then the artwork is also is equally pretty fucking amazing. Like it I'm I'm already betting that people are gonna be making Vi alters uh, like alter sleeves or alters for this because oh, it, it just reminds itself. me of Vi. Yeah. Oh, no, like, big time. It's very much like somebody at at Watsi is playing League and they're like Vi or they saw Arcane and they were like, holy shit, we're changing the artwork. It's Our director's like, like, one second, I gotta make a real quick adjustment here. 2-3 Human Warrior, costs 2 and a red, has a menace, so built-in evasion, big butt. Uh, whenever one or more creatures you control deal combat damage to a player, you create a t- treasure token. So if you attack one person with three creatures, you're going to get one treasure. If you attack three people with one creature, you're going to get three treasures. Uh, and then it also has the ability to sack a treasure, exile the top card of your library, and you may play that card this turn. So not only is it in a bomb in car, in decks like Prosper, where it has that impulsive draw off treasures, like it, this is a no-brainer. This goes just directly into every Prosper list because it's kind of like the that shaman for Krark, um, not Vayron, the Harmonic Prodigy. Yeah, when that came out, it was like, oh my Prosper. god, this is a Krark. It's a Krark thing. This is a, a fucking Prosper card. It, it it like without question because Prosper is already giving you. Treasures for casting shit out of exile. And this thing, you sack a treasure and you get the thing. So it's like, it feeds itself. Um, so it's great there. But also, just like the last card we discussed, is very good in Najila because it's a warrior. People are already saying that between it and the other card that's most similar to it is Grim Hireling that came out back with uh, the AFR commanders. Um, yeah, that one is a very similar card. card. It's a little bit more expensive. It's got a little bit bigger body. Uh, I don't believe it has evasion. But it's two. It's got the same claws, but it's two uh, treasure tokens per, per player, so you can get up yeah. to six. With this, you can get three. Between the two of them, you can get nine uh, <laughs> per attack. And with Najila, it's also That's making warriors or whatever. So then you have your automatic. I can get my infinite turns with combats, and you can cut things like what is it? Nature's will and. Um, Druid's Repository, yeah, Druid's the cards repository. that normally people use in those decks to bank mana to do the infinite combo. You can now bank it in Treasures, which is arguably better because fucking counters on Druid's Repository does nothing for you, whereas count Treasures do everything for you. It's just, it's a fucking amazing And Nature's card. Will, you need to have five lands in play. Right, like Not they had more limitations. This immediately makes the Derevi thing easier it makes the Najila thing easier it makes life easier for anybody it's a great timna attacker as long as you're in mardu uh, so this is going in mad farm whether you're on jessica or Rograk, it's an auto include i mean a grim hireling was already in those lists some people were probably going to cut grim hireling for this because even though it makes less treasures it's got the evasion built in and is a little easier to cast so it's just an all-around good card and I think even casual lists will like just getting the incidental extra mana, especially if you're in Boros or whatever. Yeah, for sure. I like index like that too. They just want they want to go to combat every turn, so they might as well get rewarded for it. Right. And that's what red has always been kind of doing. It's it's impulse draw and incidental value off of combat. And it, it, it does both. And that's power creep. But you can only have so many of these cards available in a set, right? 
Uh, it's it's probably a better thing that this was put in the main set instead of one of the commander decks because this would be the commander deck that everybody bought. Yeah, it'd be super expensive. Um, okay, moving on. Um, another interesting card. Uh, it's a new vehicle, actually, and there are several new vehicles in the set, which is kind of cool because we went from mechs to now like kind of old-timey-looking car designs that are also very weird. Still loving the vehicle support and the fact that it's kind of going into all colors, so more and more decks will be more viable with vehicles in the future, and I like that because I have enjoyed vehicles since Kaladesh. That aside, this is Horde Hauler. It's three and one red. 5-5 five, five, artifact vehicle trample so that's already pretty good by itself for crew three i have a kai car vehicle deck that this is 100 percent going in it's there sweet. you go there you go um so whenever it deals combat damage to a player you create a treasure token for each artifact they control i've seen it uh referred to as trackside extortionist which I thought was which is a great name, <laughs> pretty fucking clever. But yeah, it's it's basically a mini dockside. Um, it costs more, and you have to jump through hoops of crewing it, waiting till it isn't summoning sick and attacking, and actually dealing combat damage. So obviously a much worse dockside. But you swing this at whoever has the most artifacts on the board, and you get a, you get some treasure tokens. Uh, uh, this is another shoe in in any deck, like we just said with the facebreaker. Any low color deck that wants to be rewarded for attacking. This is amazing. Yeah, I think that, that was uh, me. It was Glittering Stockpile. It's two and a red for uh, a mana rock. It's also a treasure. You tap it, you add red mana, you put a stash counter on it. Then you can tap it, sacrifice it, add X mana of any one color where X is the number of stash counters on. Watsy is trying to print more three-colored mana rocks for casual players, and I think this is a great one for that. I also saw the mono red uh, discord and specifically Magda trying to figure out ways to kind of store mana as part of that to try to go a little bit faster on their um, going off turns. Um, next up is another artifact, although this time it's a creature. It is Goldhound. It's one red. It's a one one. It's an artifact creature treasure dog. So arguably not cute because it's made Dogs out of are treasures treasure. confirmed. <laughs> This is Metalcraft Winota. All right. Yeah, it makes sense. So it's uh, it's that one one. It's a uh, first strike menace, and so you can tap it, sack it, and get one mana of any color. But there's been memes about Yoshimaru forever. So And what happens if you tap and sack this dog? You lose the game because you sacrifice a dog. <laughs> <laughs> and? And you have to defer, uh, apologize to everyone on the table. <laughs> And you add one man. <laughs> and I will send sad pictures of King to anyone who plays this dog. Mm. You don't want that. Um, next up is something that's interesting um, from a Vorthos standpoint. Okay, so around this this time last year was call time. And we hadn't seen them in a long time, but Praetors made a comeback. And they're from Phyrexia and... Most of them are pretty famous. I think they all see play except for this one, really, in their old form. Initially, there was Warren Klex, the mono green version. His old version saw lots of play. It's pretty oppressive. Uh, the new version was basically doubling season, which wasn't great, but it's great for decks that want that sort of thing. I run in a couple lists that care about counters. In uh, New Capenna, we saw Jin Kataxis, who also had a very mo- much more oppressive version originally where he reduced your max hand size and drew them seven cards every turn. 
to being like a copy for artifacts and spells and it just not not as powerful but still cool in its own way and, and definitely very abusable uh, and used i'm sure widely at this point so we're seeing a theme of these old praetors making appearances in new places so we're thinking towards the end of the year and or in going further we're going to end up seeing more stuff from the phyrexians and we are going back to Dominaria later this year, but that's supposed to be a history lesson, so I don't know that that's really going to have anything to do with it, but we'll see. Either way, the newest Praetor to make his showing is uh, Urabrask, which, honestly, I think this version is kind of a flip. Uh, his original version, not amazing. I've seen it played, but it, it gives your creatures haste, and I think everybody else has come in tapped or something like that. Yeah. I played in a couple uh, casual lists. It's not like broken it's or anything. fine but it's not disgusting like elish norn or jigataxis or born Clex. Children. children is probably kind of underpowered also it's fine it, it when it was when it first came out it was definitely oh, fucking menace awesome a bomb <laughs> uh nowadays it's kind of on the weaker side just because of its cost and it just doesn't do enough in most lists unless you know you're building around that sort of theme um, anyhow, old Urabrask, I didn't really like. I, I never, I've never played it. I don't own one. Uh, this one I initially wrote off because I didn't really understand how it played. Uh, this one is actually pretty good. It's it's a, a stacks piece for red in a sense, uh, which they don't have a lot outside of like Blood Moon and Stranglehold and you know stuff that fucks you up because you used your lands. Uh, so it's Urabrask, uh, Heretic Praetor, and I guess due to the story, he's he's going against the Praetors. Uh, yes. against what they want and he's kind of the the anti-hero kind of di- kind of dude so i think boros list and some other decks that are in red are gonna, are gonna like this a lot but uh it's three and two two red uh it's a four four phyrexian praetor uh it has haste which is on on point for flavor uh beginning of your upkeep you exile the top card of your library you may play it this turn well again or another card that likes to prosper um and just another impulsive draw effect for red which has been on theme for a few years so that's cool uh secondary part is at the beginning of each opponent's upkeep the next time they would draw a card this turn instead they exile the top card of their library and they may play it this turn so what's happening here is you play this out it goes around a turn cycle nobody's interacted with it it's still there your turn starts untap upkeep you get a impulse draw which you just exile it you can play it this turn then you draw your normal card for turn. So it's basically Bob, but without damaging you. Either way, it's card advantage um, and the ability to cast something. Now, if you flip something off the top that's super expensive, you can't play it yet. Well, that sucks, but so be it. You got to see it. You got the additional information. You got the, the advantage. Now, you pass turn. You go to your next player's turn. They untap upkeep. Upkeep is a triggered ability that says on their next draw, which would be the one they're about to take, they have to do the impulsive draw thing. They don't get the additional draw on top of it. So, obviously, you're getting an even bigger advantage now because nobody's getting to draw. They're having more of a Uba mask effect where their any of their draws get flipped and they can cast them if they can. If they can't, they just lose card advantage. So it's hand hate, it's library hate, and it's card advantage for you. Um, so they get that, and if it's a card they can't use, it's just exiled. Maybe you just exiled their Wincon, their Thassas is gone, their their Tainted Pact is gone, their Adnos is gone forever. 
and all you did was cast a creature. So it's going to be kind of hard to get him out because he's expensive, but mono red decks, they'll shit this guy out really quick. Uh, anything with, you know, a decent amount of ramp. Yeah, it's it's a good card. I think it's pretty oppressive for casual, but I think it's right up. Like, I could see this in Winota, you know? Like, any stacks list with red is going to like this. And any particular deck that runs white and or red and is striving to achieve higher power or stacks, the combination of Dranath Magistrate and Urabrask means that you're just stopping any of those exiled cards from ever entering. Right. It is another half to the Uva Mass combo, Indeed. just like Dranath. Yep. So that that alone is enough to make it CDH viable, I think. Um, and then just from a casual standpoint, I think it's going gonna, it's gonna to fuck up some people's days. I'll play to my Boros deck. It's another good card advantage engine on a reasonably costed body. Yeah. And I mean, I've seen people play Blood Moon in casual because there's still greedy mana bases in casual. So yeah. um, next one is... Devilish Vandal. This is uh, two Carlos and one red for a Devil Warrior with Trample and Haste. It's a 1-3 body, and it has Alliance. Whenever another creature enters the battlefield under your control, double Devilish Valley's power until end of turn. So the interesting point about this is that if you attempt to double it six times, so six creatures enter the battlefield that turn, it becomes a 64 power. Oh, yep. so it's, this is really good in Najila. Yes. The, this is insanely card. good for <laughs> Najila. It's also just insanely good in any type of red token spewing deck if you just want to alpha strike somebody. Yeah. No, actually, that would go really well in, um, in Pranko list, too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Or, like, uh, say, you're like a Prosh or some kind of Jun token deck. You play, like, your this dude and then your Avengers Zendikar and. Someone's going to sleep. My kobolds aren't yeah. scary. This is. <laughs> the trample and the haste means that it can just come just out of nowhere and be like, okay, your turn to die. Right. Yeah, I really like yeah, that. Yeah, that's, that's pretty gnarly. Very, and the trample, the trample makes it to where it is a guaranteed kill if they don't have interaction. Yeah. You're like, that's... I'm going to attack you for way more than 40 damage. So Well, and then in your Najila, you've already done that, and then you double it up some more on the second combat, kill the next guy, and it's just, it just ends yeah, the game. Just, yeah, for sure. If you could untap, get a second combat with Najila, then you're for sure just going to kill multiple players. Next one, Jaxix, the Troublemaker. It's a three and a red for a human warrior, two, three. Red, tap it, discard a card. Create a token that's a copy of another creature you control. It gains haste, and when this creature dies, draw a card. Sacrifice at the beginning of the next end step. Activate only as a sorcery. And also, because this card didn't have enough text, it has blitz for one in a red, so you can cast it for its blitz cost. It gains haste, and you sacrifice to begin the next end step, and draw a card when it dies. This is a great enabler for reanimator decks, I think. They usually have a lot of scary threats and it lets you put them in the graveyard. And I believe that this is going into your Felden list. Oh, fuck yeah. There's yeah. a lot of cards in this mm-hmm. set that are going in my Felden list that are going to be very dynamic power-ups. I mean, yeah, it, it, it fills your graveyard with prime reanimation targets. It doubles up on a potentially powerful ETB or LTB effect that'll occur once this happens. You gain card advantage. You, you replace the card that you discard with it. I'm, I'm absolutely floored with this card as well. 
Yeah, it does it all. I don't even give a fuck about that blitz stuff. I'll probably never do that. Oh, completely agreed. I mean, it's 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 one mana less than Kiki Jiki, and it's a fair version of that. With like I would like we just said, filling up the graveyard, and you eventually replace that card. Yeah, it's great. I'm really really excited for that one. Also, another uh, candidate for would make a good uh, Vi Alter from League of Legends. Ooh, absolutely. She's already got the fists up and everything. She's ready for those gauntlets. Hell yes. And then the next one that I believe we have on our list, it, it is uh, calling a professional two in a red for an instant. Players can't gain life this turn. Damage can't be prevented this turn. And calling a professional deals three damage to any target. Shield counters don't prevent this damage as they're removed. Yeah, I um, I picked this card. And I just thought, like, because I... Like, I'm actually working on my Liesa deck right now, which is, like, a lot of life gain and a lot of, you know, life takeaway. I play these kinds of decks all the time where the only way to kill me is with commander damage because I'm going to gain such a ridiculous amount of life that you just have to let me be. And I I saw this one. (laughs) Yeah, I saw this one as just, like, a huge threat to the way I prefer to play. And so I figured, well, if I don't like it, that means it's probably a good card. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I, I mean, anything that incorporates the malignous text or banefire text of damage can't be prevented scares the ever-living bejeebus out of me, so I'm definitely there with you. Yeah. It's it's definitely a meta call. If you're in a meta where you have people that play a lot of things with life gain, this is your shoe-in. Next up is it's Woody Roastmaster, which in the picture looks like he's actually roasting something, but I feel like it's more like, you know, the roasts on Comedy Central. Like, he's just talking mm-hmm. mad shit. The guy's up here who knows how to, like, fucking haze an audience. But uh, maybe that's what it is. It's just literal because it looks like somebody in the audience is shocked next to the guy who's getting his face burnt off. So I guess it's kind of a double entendre. Yeah, he's roasting his audience. <laughs> Either way, uh, it is a 3-2 Devil Citizen. Two in a red. And the Alliance trigger, whenever another creature enters the battlefield under your control, Woody Roastmaster deals one damage to each opponent. <laughs> uh, so it's impact tremors on a body, which eh, we have historically seen that anytime that there's an effect on a body that seems like it's good and popular, it'll get put on an enchantment or something, or vice versa. Something that's on an enchantment gets put on a body. Um, it's arguably better in say like a Boros deck because you can use something like Imperial or Recruiter of the Guard to get it out because it's got the two or less toughness. And yeah, I've lost lots of games to Impact Tremors. This is the exact same thing. It'll win lots of games Commander. Yeah, uh, it's no different than, um, you know, Aristocrat style list that put in Blood Artist and the Zulaport Cutthroat and there's like three or four other versions and if you can get three or four of them out, everybody's losing four each rotation like yeah, yeah that doesn't take long to finish a table right um and then last one is structural assault i was talking before we went live about anti-artifact tech and how everyone is complaining about dockside still again i don't know um because of all the treasure tech coming to us in streets of new capenna I know there's other answers out there, but we're specifically looking for answers from this set. And so this is an answer. And what I like about it is it's an answer whether you're the artifact maker or the not artifact maker. So what Structural Assault does is it's five costs. It's a sorcery. It destroys all artifacts. 
Um, and your treasure tokens will go to the graveyard temporarily before they go into the nether. So after they go into the graveyard, structural assault deals damage to each creature equal to the number of artifacts that were put into graveyards from the battlefield this turn. There are some like issues with this, obviously, because, you know, in response, somebody could be like, well, I'm just going to tap all my treasure tokens. But here's the thing. They still go to the graveyard. If you sacrifice your treasure token or you the only way to not have it go to the graveyard is to exile it. So it's a board wipe. And it's also a way to deal with a million artifacts on the board. That pretty much covers red. Uh, we've got one last color uh, before we jump into the three color stuff or multicolor stuff. Uh, so we're on to green. And um, the first one is honestly the first Planeswalker I've been excited for in a long time. Like, I think the last Planeswalker I actually gave a shit about was uh, the four mana to fairy from like M21 that you can use at instant speed on everybody's turn. Yeah, I love that, that. one. I love that Teferi. I played a lot. That, that's a fairy I've actually played. Um, yeah, like I, I've actually played that one in decks. It was a great card. It is a great card. This is the first one that's come out since then that I'm like, holy shit, this is amazing. And it's amazing for one particular reason, but we'll get into that shortly. It is Vivian on the Hunt. Uh, it's four and two green for a f- starting loyalty of four. So her first ability is plus two. You can sacrifice a creature. If you do, search your library for a creature card with mana value equal to one plus the sacrifice creature's mana value and put it onto the battlefield and then shuffle. That is the exact phrasing of Birthing Pod. Uh, anybody who plays CDH, and I'm sure it's played in casual as well, but anybody who plays CDH is very familiar with Birthing Pod wins games because usually you can cast a Birthing Pod and you have the right combination of mana and creatures to make a chain into something that's going to win the game on the spot. I am a proponent of Minsk. Uh, I run it as a Hulk list, and this is, if nothing else, a sack outlet, which you're not actually going to search for any other creature. It's just going to sack your Hulk to then search for those creatures. But uh, it's it's that at its bare minimum. But otherwise, it is a birthing pod line that can just win on the spot. Um, second ability, plus one, mill five cards, then put any number of creature cards milled this way into your hand. So card advantage if you can if you're in a creature heavy list. And some decks might actually want to lean towards using that part of it if they're not on the competitive end and trying to do birthing pod stuff. Otherwise there's a minus one to make a four four whiner rhino warrior creature token. Which uh, generally speaking any commander or any planeswalker you play that has a built in uh, blocker ability, they they tend to be better than the ones that don't. So um, it's got overall general good value, but the main selling point is the birthing pod line. And uh, people are now looking at Minx again, even though he's already been in in the limelight for a while with uh, Hulk lines, which is how I run him. But I also run birthing pod. But my my train of thought with this is that uh, I'm running... Academy Rector as part of the line because you have Minx Scout as your sack outlet. You get the Academy Rector on the field by any means necessary. You use Minx to make the Academy Rector a 0-0. It gets sacked and then you exile it and go get a Pattern of Rebirth. Put it on the boo token that you created with Minx when he entered the battlefield or any other creature that you have. Sack that. Continue on getting Hulk and then go through the line, which usually culminates in Kikijiki and Infinite Felidar Guardians. Or other things, depending on which l- list you're looking at, because 
different people have come up with different combos outside of like what I do. But a lot of people have been saying that they can now use Arena Rector, which is do the same thing, have Minx Scout get the Arena Rector out and then sack it to Minx to go get Vivian. And from there... Yeah, you sack Minx and you go on the line, which is the same exact line that the Birthing Pod would you do with birthing pod my whole thing with it is that yes i'm in white and i can tutor uh with like one card (laughs) basically i can tutor out the birthing pod um in the case of this i have way more creature tutors so it would be easier to tutor out the arena rector sack it and get vivian to do the same line but in an easier fashion that's how i'm going to use it some people are opting to get rid of hulk altogether and just focus on this line which is Makes perfect sense. Um, speaking of things, why you would want Artifact Tate. Uh, next one up is Bootlegger's Stash. It's a quite expensive investment. It's five and a green. So six mana for an artifact. But it gives grants all of your lands. Tap, create a treasure token. Those of you who love Crufix, uh, you'll love this card. Because it's essentially the same sort of mana investment to get out a piece that will then allow you to bank mana. Um, I don't know if it's good enough for CDH without somebody figuring out how to like bank this for a win or turn it into a win. I suppose there is that um, Magus of the Candelabra or just the Candelabra itself. Those types of things could make it to where this could be a super explosive turn, depending on what you're trying to do. Um, it has its its pros and cons. I, I don't, what, what do you guys think? I, I thought people were really mad at this card. Because it makes a lot of mana generation, but that's what green does. I get that the flavor maybe doesn't sit right with people, but to me, this is just a worse mana doubler. I'd rather play mana reflection than this card. Yeah, that's fair. I'm, I'm not super high on it. It was just one of those shock value kind of cards. Yeah, that for was sure. Worth I just about. thought I thought people's reactions were like they didn't really think about the card from an evaluation standpoint. They're just like it makes treasures, and I'm fucking mad about that. And it's like okay. Um, it is not actually doubling anything. You, you're basically taking two turns off to double your mana. Because the first the first turn, you're taking a turn off to cast this thing because it's six mana. And then the second turn, you're tapping all your mana into it, make that many treasures, and then you have a turn with double. So, it's yeah, it's two turns off to double your treasure. So in that evaluation, it's pretty ass. But if you're in a position where you're in a deck that like say a Rashmi or something where you're like, I'm just going to draw go anyway, then I don't see where it's that bad. You know, things like with Seedborn Muse, if you have to be, I think you have to be doing more with this card to make it powerful. I don't think it's strong on its own. Yeah. It's a win more card. Yeah. You have to be like manipulating the artifacts it makes or have a token doubler out shit like that. Yeah. Then you're fucking, but just putting more investment into it than the original six mana to make the card powerful. Now, if you can cheat it out, which I'm sure there's ways. Uh, then maybe not so bad. Like if you cascaded into it. Oh yeah, yeah. for sure. Then it's, it's not as bad. So I, I think it's kind of a build around and, and that's not the kind of card you want to really build around either. So it's middling, but it was something that we had to, had to talk about. I think about Kufix sure. decks will play it. Like you said at yeah. the start, that's where it's home probably is. Who, I don't know who put it in, whoever put it in this next one, you can read it off. 
the, the next card that at least I put on the list was Gallagreeters, which is the mono green elf druid. Surprise, green gets an elf druid. Um, one one with alliance. Whenever another creature enters the battlefield under your control, choose one that hasn't been chosen this turn. Put a plus one plus one counter on Gallagreeters. Create a tapped treasure token, or or you gain two life. I just thought that this was just a slam dunk in just your casual ETB creature decks because one, it for um, you can ramp, you can gain life, you can create a potential beater. Once again, modality wins. It has a uh, different effects, so that's worthwhile. Slam dunk um, into my Lannis deck or any deck that incorporates tokens such as Academy Manufacturer. Anytime you have the, the modal effect and you're in a creature-based deck that this is going to trigger every time you play, it's just more value for green. It, it's, it's, it's what green does. I'm definitely going to be putting this in my Hamza deck. Yeah, I was thinking that too. It, it does seem very good for Hamza. Then uh, we got one last one for green. I think this might be an RJ special as well. Yep. Social Climber is um, a common, most importantly, um, a 3-2 human druid for two colors and a green. For with alliance, whenever another creature enters the battlefield under your control, you gain one life. So, hello, Popper, get another soul sister. This will also slot right into my uh, historic list that has these, even though it's three, which kind of sucks. Um, it's actually not as good as a soul warden either because it's only on your creatures, and there's already like a uh, couple other things that are in this same sort of thing but yeah as you said popper and other places where you don't have this effect yeah yeah, yeah. i mean it is three uh, mana for the effect of a johnny's welcome which is the one mana white enchantment that has the same effect of only right. creatures each being under your control but but i just figured it was notable because some of these commons yeah. are feeling tremendously pushed and i think that this is one of them so uh, moving on to multicolor which was supposed to be the biggest hypiest part of the set which uh May or may not have fallen short. We do have quite a few options here to talk about, though, real quick. So first one on the list is Falco Spara Pactweaver, which is one of the leaders of the families. Um, this is the bird demon that we pointed out earlier. It's Bant. Uh, it's one and Bant uh, for a 3-3. Flying Trample. Uh, when it ETBs, you put a shield counter on it, and that is the... Uh, counter that uh, prevents death essentially of the creature and then it gets removed prevents the damage um, you may look at the cop card of your library at any time which we've seen that on a billion things green and blue uh, you may cast spells from the top of your library by removing a counter from a creature you control in addition to paying their other costs so you basically get a future site and you get the ability to remove any variety of counters from uh, creatures to do the thing. So it's kind of a, a similar thing that we've already seen, um, you know, like the Oracle and Medias and, and stuff where you can cast lands off the top or there's ones that do creatures and et cetera, et cetera. Uh, Reality Chip was the last one that we saw that did that sort of thing, but it required to be equipped to a creature, whereas this is just requiring you to remove counters. Uh, it's already been pointed out this combos with Devoted Druid, which is a green card mana dork that you can tap for green. And then uh, to untap it, you uh, put a minus one, minus one counter on it. And it's like a two, two or a two, three or something. So like you could do that a couple times before it dies. That's supposed to be its limitation with cards like this. You can 
tap it for a green, remove the 1-1 counter with Falco, and then cast something off the top. In the case of having Sensei's Divining Top, you've added the green to be able to cast that, so now you don't even need the cost reducer, and you can simply do this infinitely to draw your deck. Um, it's probably got other combos too, but that was the main reason why I threw it in. Um, I do know it, it um, works with Persist and or um, Undying Creatures, anything that like goes to the grave and then comes right back with a counter on it. You just remove the counter and then it goes again. It should also uh, combo with that... Uh, what was that moth from Ikoria that gives the flying counters? Luminous Brood uh, Moth. There you go. Uh, it should work with that as well. Because uh, you just remove the flying counter and then you can sack the thing again or whatever. It's not something new exactly, but it's in it's in decent colors to be able to work with uh, what's there. So um, it seems to be like a, a commander that might see play in the CDH sphere and casual as well. Um, next one is Cormella Glamour Thief. This is one of the Grixis family cards, but not... Not the head chief or anything, just a regular old legendary. It's a one in Grixis for a 2-4 uh, vampire rogue. Has haste. You can pay one and tap it to add Grixis and spend that mana only to cast instant or sorcery spells. So it's a sort of mana dork for instants and sorceries. Uh, but then also when it dies, it is recursion for instants and sorceries. So not exactly a powerhouse, but I could see this being utility in several Grixis style lists where you, you know, you're going to want to have... Uh, you can leave one mana open, so it looks like you. And it could be a, you know, a black or a red, so people don't think that you have that uh, counter spell available. And then you use this to use the counter spell. And then if it dies, you just get the counter spell back and you use it later. Seems like a no brainer. Um, one that I was kind of excited about. I did talk about at the beginning here that we uh, or I've been brewing is uh, Evelyn the Covetous. Uh, and this is a weird one, although there's a cycle of these that are have these weird mana costs. But uh, basically, it's two hybrid blue-black, black, hybrid black, red. So with hybrid colors, essentially what this means is you can cast her for three black and two. So Jeweled Lotus plus a couple lands. Uh, she comes down at turn two very easily. Uh, if you happen to have other free rocks to tap for colors, you can get her down turn one pretty easily. Um, or so it could be two and three black or two blue, black, black, or two red, black, black, two red, blue, blah, blah, blah. Grixis. Uh, so very modal in casting costs, which actually makes the five CMC less detrimental than it normally would be. Uh, she's a two, five vampire rogue with flash. That is notable, which I didn't even realize until I started play testing. If anyone casts a Vampiric Tutor, Worldly Tutor, etc., anything that goes to the top of library, you can cast this at flash speed before they get to their draw to steal that card. Because whenever she enters the battlefield, her or any vampire, uh, you exile top card of each player's library, including your own, with a collection counter on it. So very much like Paco. Uh, uh, once each turn, you can play a card from exile with a collection counter on it, it was exiled with your ability, basically. So, uh, and you can also cast it for any color of mana. So, very much like Paco Halden, um, also very much like Kess, in the sense that you get to do this once a turn. Um, it has some legs. I've 
brewed it out. Um, being able to steal people's shit is great. I stole a Thassa's Oracle and had Demonic Consultation in hand. I didn't win that game, but the potential was there. Um, also, it does kind of force you to want to build Vampire Tribal, but even in CDH where Tribal sucks and you probably don't want to do that, uh, you can still find quite a few decent vampires to throw in to make sure you're getting these triggers. You could also do the Massive Wooden Nexus thing if you wanted to. Uh, up to you. Um, I didn't put in Rafine, so whoever wants to take that one. Yeah, that's <clears throat> that's the Esper Legend. It is a Sphinx Demon for white, blue, black, flying, ward one. Whenever you attack, target attacking creature, connives X, where X is the number of attacking creatures. So you go, uh, go low to the ground, rush out a bunch of creatures, use them as huge card advantage engines, dig through your library, reanimate shit. I've been seeing this more recently as kind of a substitute to the two Timnas or um, Timna Sakashima. Uh, right. So, so, yeah, uh, two Timna Sakashima or even Timna Malcolm to a degree. I've, I've, I've started seeing this kind of popping up into the similar kind of shells that those operate in. Oh, yeah, that makes sense. Um, it, it's definitely the type of deck that uh, usually Esper, at least these days, it's, it's usually Doomsday or something similar. Uh, and then trying basically trying to get rid of your library and win with a lab man effect. Uh, this can definitely do that because there you're in the colors to where you can make infinite mana and do the connive through your whole library thing, which we've already talked about with a different card, this set. So um, yeah, I mean, similar win cons are, are showing their head um, again, but this one's interesting just because of the connive making it bigger as well to where if you do it right, or if it, if it's done over time, you can potentially get into uh, lethal scenarios with commander damage, which can be viable. Um, I did not do the next one either, but the, oh, that's the fifth one. Yeah, uh, Quasar, the Augur of Agonies, one in an Esper for a I think it's a three four. Where is it? There we go. Uh, yeah, it's a three four Cephalid Advisor. Whenever you draw a card, target opponent loses one life and you gain one life which is sweet. This is right up my fucking alley. It also, uh, she turns cards like Peer into the Abyss and Necrologia into kill spells. They just now kill players and you draw that many cards. That's kind of feels a lot like um, that mill card we talked about earlier, where it's just like, oh, with the right other card, this just kills someone. Yep. And then you got to draw half your library as the trade-off and lose no life. Right, because you gain it all back. And you can do some life gain shenanigans like with uh, Vito and stuff like that, and you'll be able to kill a table really quickly. Yeah, for sure. Um, very, yeah, very this excited one's to make cool. this one. Next one, I think is I, I, I know I put it on here, but I know it's it's right up RJ's alley. It's a uh, Jetmere Nexus of Revel. I'm actually also excited about this because I love Ren and Siri, and I love having cats and dogs and fun cards, as you guys know. So this is Jatmar, Nexus of Revels, legendary cat demon, and creatures you control get plus one O, have vigilance as long as you control three or more creatures, and they have trample as long as you control six or more, plus another plus one, and then they get double strike and another plus one if you have nine or more creatures. So this is very uh, reminiscent of the go wide that Ren and Siri has with creating those cat and dog tokens. 
And I'm I'm just excited. I'm ex- like I was looking at the set, and I know a lot of people were excited about a lot of different cards. And I was looking at all the cats and dogs that I'm going to be putting in Ren and Siri. She getting a <laughs> I mean, huge upgrade. Yeah, I didn't even realize that it was a cat to begin with. So like, yeah, that's that's good. And I think the next one is even better. We can yeah. just roll into it because they're related. Uh, it's Ginny yeah. Faye, which is uh, Jetmere's second. Uh, mm-hmm. This is the one in this cycle that has the weird hybrid cost where it's uh, red, green, or and then green, or and then a green or white. So you could do three green or other combinations. Um, it's three, three, Elf Druid. If you would create one or more tokens, you may instead create that many two, two green cat creature, creature tokens with haste, or that many three, one green dog creature tokens with haste, which lines up with that, uh, um, that uh, vehicle we were talking about earlier that had the crew three. Yeah. Um, and was in red, so very playable in this. But it's not just creature tokens, it's any token. So if you're on that Academy Manufactor and, and stuff like that, where you're just creating a clue token over here, but then you're getting three tokens, but then all three of those turn into two twos with haste or three ones with vigilance or a mixture thereof, like pretty crazy how I honestly, uh, Ginny does um, interest me. In, in the sense of just it probably like high power at best, but just the ability to shit out tokens all over the place and turn them into beers. Yeah. She's such an army in a can where you'll just make a huge board state in like a turn or off one or two spells. And the cats having haste means you can like, you know, make sorcery speed threats and just fill up a board. Mm. Yep. For sure. I think those two go hand in hand very much because the buffs off Jetmere just coincide with all of that because it doesn't matter if they're tokens or not. And thankfully, unlike Olivia and Edgar, which should have been partnered in the last set, right? Uh, last, last set, they are in the same color. So they're easy to put in a commander deck together. Right. Uh, the only well, thing I would have loved named together. So yeah, I would have loved to see her have um, lieutenant of or partner with right. Jetmer only. Like I do like those singular capabilities where you know this card was obviously meant to be played with this card. Right. They have an issue with that only because it's a standard set. If right. those two would have been put in the precon it would have made mm-hmm. more sense because then you could have done partner with, and they probably could have done that with all of them and just had another cycle of partner with in the pre-cons, but yes, missed opportunities, I suppose. Absolutely. Uh, next one. People are excited about this because uh, a popular strategy over the years is using the food chain in conjunction with the commander to win games. And this commander has been found to be able to do the same thing. It's uh Rocco, Cabaretti Caterer. Um, it's X and Naya. 3-1, Elf Druid. When it ETBs, if you cast it, search your library for a creature card with mana value X or less, put it on the battlefield, shuffle. So it's, um, you know, quarter calling or whatever you want to call it on a body in the command zone. It will nice. tutor up anything that you want and put it directly on the battlefield along with itself. So with Food Chain, you can essentially loop this you have to get your food chain out. You have to get your cast from exile creature out. In this case, you have op- two options with uh, Squee and the Eternal Scourge. 
you have to get those out and start the loop where you sack them to food chain to create infinite mana. From there, you can use said infinite mana to cast this. Well, you can sack him too and then recast with the infinite mana and basically get every creature out of your deck onto the battlefield and go to town. Um, that's pretty much the gist of it. Uh, I, I've been on Food Chain in decks before. Food Chain's fine. It does a thing. I'm not excited about this, but it is a card that people will be. Yeah. Next one is the other Planeswalker from the set. It is Obnixilus the Adversary. Uh, three Loyalty, one, and Rakdos. It has Casualty, which is interesting, because it, this one has Casualty X, so it's a little bit different than the others. The copy isn't legendary and has starting loyalty X. So as you cast it, you sacrifice a creature with power X. When you do, you copy it. So you basically get two copies of this Planeswalker, but the second one is not legendary. Power of the creature you sacrifice becomes his loyalty. So his plus one is uh, each opponent loses two life unless they discard a card. And if you control a demon or a devil, you gain two life. So that's that's whatever. Minus two, create a 1-1 one, one red devil creature token with when this creature dies, it deals one damage to any target. Also whatever, but creates a blocker. And then minus seven is target player draws seven cards and loses seven life, which is Gristlebrand's ability. And you get two of these guys immediately if you can sacrifice to get the casualty copy. So you can essentially get two of these out. And if you're in colors where you can do some doubling shenanigans with doubling season or whatever, you could potentially draw like 14 cards and lose 14 life pretty quickly. So I think this one is worth looking into, but it's also probably quite a few, maybe many, too many hoops to jump through to get that, but still interesting. Yeah, I agree. That's cool design. Next one is Fatal Grudge. And that is a new Rakdos uh, sorcery that uh, has an additional cost to cast, sacrifice a non-land permanent. Um, in this day and age, you can sacrifice like a treasure or something uh, pretty easily. Uh, each opponent chooses a permanent. They control it, shares the type with the sacrifice permanent, and sacrifices it. So more to... Um, less so that you're going to sacrifice treasure unless you're trying to blow up an artifact. But you can usually make tokens of the things that you want to get rid of, creatures, artifacts. Enchantments not so much, but you might have to sack your own enchantment for it but maybe the enchantment that you have is holding you back for the moment, so you need to get rid of that. Either way, it's a way for Rakdos to be able to get some different removal than what they normally have access to uh, by sacrificing something that you own. Uh, And it replaces itself, because you draw a card. Yeah, I dig it. Uh, Red Black has a hard time answering a variety of permanents, so it helps. Yeah, anything else that gives you more choices is usually good. Uh, next up is Corpse Explosion, uh, another Rakdos sorcery. It's one in Rakdos. Um, as an additional cost to cast this spell, exile a creature from your graveyard. Corpse Explosion deals damage equal to the exile card's power to each creature and each planeswalker. I like this because this can be potentially be a board wipe, um, but also hits planeswalkers. So when you're in those games where somebody drops an Ashiok, and you're like, I can't swing into it because they have all these creatures. You can just kill the creatures and kill the Ashiok because you exile a three drop, a three power uh, creature from your graveyard. Seems seems good. Um, 
like you said, more options than Rakdos seems seems good to me. Yeah, I feel that. Uh, next one is scheming fence. Uh, this one I actually overlooked until we we started preparing for this episode. It's kind of like a Phyrexian Revoker, in a sense. Um, it's two, a two three human citizen. It costs Azorius white white blue. Um, as an ETBs, you may choose a non land permanent. Activated abilities of the chosen permanent can't be activated. So Pith and Needle or Phyrexian Revoker. Um, scheming fence has all activated abilities of the chosen permanent except for loyalty abilities. So you can target a planeswalker, but you can't steal planeswalker abilities. But any creature you happen to copy or, or stop from being activated, so say Thrasios or a Kinnon, you now have that ability. And you can spend mana as though it were mana of any color to activate those abilities. So it makes if you did this on a Kinnon, instead of paying five and Simic, you could just pay seven colorless and still do a Kinnon activation. And oh, depending on your list, that might be awesome. Um, it's with Thrasios, it's normal, normally four colorless anyway, so it doesn't matter, but you can shut off their Thrasios and you Have get a Thrasios. Own. That is cooler to me than a copy. It's better than a, a Fimage. If you're in Azorius, this is probably better than a Fimage because you shut off their thing and you also get it. Yeah. Oh yeah, I agree. Uh, you know, obviously, Fimage is better for like Docksides or whatever, but it's a, it's a cool hate beer, and I've, I'm I'm adding it to some considering lists uh, that are in those colors because it's it's definitely I think something worth playing. Shuts off treasure too if you're not a treasure centric deck and you're worried about it in a CDH or high powered. You just yeah. be like, well, you guys just don't get to use them, right? Uh, yeah, there's there's a lot of uses for it, and I'm sure there's things we're not even thinking about. Um, and then last one is Agnes the Dragon's Lash, which I picked. There you go. Yeah, I picked it. Um, so I liked this um, because I do like treasure tokens. And I was noticing that a lot of the creatures that were in this set had that fancy thing called Blitz, which Blitz, just looking at it, looks kind of shitty because it's not much cheaper to only get a creature for one turn but it gives them all haste and And then if yeah and then this is you get the card draw plus a treasure token so i really thought that this could work into something good i know it's not the right colors but i also was like thinking about ishin if you wanted to play this under a five color commander or putting in I, my favorite five-color commander is Kenrith because he has that rent one red tap to give every creature that turn haste. Oh, yeah. Fuck yeah. Then you're just like, oh, I'll tap my team and I'll make like five treasures or whatever. Yeah. So you bring in Kenrith, Ishin, Agnes, all of a sudden, like, you have double treasures and a lot of haste. Even if they're tapped that turn, the next turn, you're going to have like, a huge ritual, basically. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I like that. Yeah. So that's what I was looking at with this guy. Um, so that wraps up uh, multicolor. The last thing we got to touch on is colorless. And I don't have a ton here uh, to bring up, but the one that I am the most excited for is uh, Luxior, Giada's Gift, mm. which is a spicy little addition. It's a one cost legendary artifact equipment. Uh, equipped creature gets plus one plus one for each counter on it. Equipped permanent isn't a planeswalker and is a creature in addition to its other types. Loyalty abilities can still be activated. It has equipped planeswalker one and equipped three. So obviously 
you could equip this to any creature and it'll do a thing. Um, if you're in a 1-1 counters matter deck, this could be attached to other things and that could be fine. But we don't give a shit about that. What we care about is it costs one and you can equip it for one and cards like Tevish exist and that's all that I care about. Because Tevish comes <laughs> in at four and immediately upticks two to make some thrally boys uh, and is a six loyalty. And for two mana, you now make him into a 6-6 six, six beater that is harder to remove. Now, granted, creature removal exists and can still be pointed out at him. But usually when you play Tevish out, you play the Thrulls immediately because you need blockers for all the little one ones and shit that are going to attack at you because you don't have any other creatures because you cast him first and yada yada. So usually it's a you get some value and you also have to try and protect him. In this case, as long as nobody has a swords or anything that's going to immediately kill him, you now have a big beater that's going to, within two turns, be at the point, wait, six, eight, three turns, will be at the point where he can ultimate. It'll kill him, but you'll also regain control of him, your other commander, which in this case, probably Arden, and then everyone else's commander. Uh, so a very quick clock to steal everyone's, mostly, most people's decks at least run on uh, some sort of plan that revolves around their commander. So you've essentially turned it into a very quick clock. Uh, getting Tevish out turn one, very easy. Uh, mm-hmm. Turn two at the latest. Uh, and as long as you can somehow tutor this um, or have it in your opener to get there, uh, you can basically have a big beater out that's going to steal every commander very quickly and could take over a game. And I'm sure there's other things that I'm not thinking about. Other Planeswalkers that can make this busted as well. I'm sure people will find other stuff, but I, I think this is really cool. The, the other common application that I've seen floating around is Yoshimaru, attaching it to that little lovely dog that cares about legendary permanence, because this is a legendary artifact, and this just essentially turns it into a much quicker clock than it or, or already normally would be. Yeah, that makes sense. And then everything that gets cast, uh, so you cast this, he gets a 1-1 one, one counter, mm-hmm. and then you equip this, and then it gets a 1-1 one, one right. plus the 1-1. One, one. Yep. So another 2, so it's like a 4 or 5 drop like on turn 2 yep. and already. Then, and then if you have Jessica as your companion, you're just turning it into Boros... Uh, uh, Boros Ishai. Ishai. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I, I didn't even think about that. The only other Planeswalker I put in the list, because I brewed it as Tevish Arden, the only other Planeswalker I put in the list was uh, Professor Onyx, because you can run her and Chain of Smog, and that's a compact win con for the colors. And she also wouldn't be bad as a creature, because she's got a pretty high starting loyalty and goes up quickly. So... Um, yeah. But yeah, I, I think it could attach to basically any Planeswalker and just make the Planeswalker better in the sense of being able to attack and have uh, activated abilities. Um, otherwise, the other one that really got, I think, a lot of people excited uh, for a number of different reasons is uh, another new vehicle. It's uh, the Unlicensed Hearse. It's uh, two mana. It's a Star Star. You can tap it to exile up to two target cards from a single graveyard. So you can only hate on one person, but it's two cards instead of one, which is typically all you ever get. Um, And its power and toughness are equal to the number of cards exiled with it. Because it comes in as an artifact, it has pseudo haste. So you can drop this for two mana, immediately tap it, exile two cards, it becomes a 2-2. 
it has crew two. So first turn, you're going to exile some stuff. Second turn, you're going to be able to either crew it and swing for two or continue the exile thing until you get it to a point sufficient enough to crew it and swing for a bunch of damage. Um, also, if nothing else, it's graveyard hate. And that's decent because you can do that at end steps before your turn. So you can leave it up as a potential blocker to crew with and then uh, exile cards right before you're going to untap with it. So it's a vehicular scavenging ooze, so to speak, or the line sash in a different form. Yeah, I dig it. It's aggressively costed too. It's cheap. So it's low opportunity cost to run it in your deck. And more commander decks could use more graveyard hate. I agree with that. Not enough people run it, um, especially with the underworld breaches and other things. Um, I don't know why Rest in Peace went out of Vogue outside of everybody wanted to use their own graveyard, no matter what colors. Mm -hmm. But in certain cases, like just being able to get rid of the one card that's going to help them win the game. And two cards is pretty good, too, because you have this on the field and say you have it up and somebody kind of forgot about it. And then they play their breach and then they start going, I'm going to cast this thing. And you're like, no, I'm just going to exile that. Plus the, fact, plus the fact that you can, in Magda specifically, use it as a funnel for tapping your dwarves to gain additional mana. And also, this is something that I, I used to, um, back in the day, I brewed up a historic stacks list with Traxos, the colorless 4-mana uh, 7-7 seven, seven from Dominaria yeah. as a commander. And this makes me want to return to a colorless stacks list. As a uh, I was always super interested in him. Um but the whole fact that he like came in tapped and it was yeah I don't know it was always kind of like uh, that's like just this extra step I have to take to make him good but right. I I see that um uh, definitely in Magda the the ability to tap the dwarves to crew um I don't know why we're not running any like I I wasn't I'm not sure about the uh, official list I my my Magda deck is casual but still this is something I could run in that just to have mm-hmm. the the outlet for the dwarves indeed. Yeah, just, cool. just as long as you exile cards first, because if you try to crew it without any cards that are exiled, it'll immediately die. Right. Yeah. Yeah. You, well, as I said, it, yeah. because it has the mm-hmm. ability to do that on your turn, exactly. you're definitely going to want to do that immediately. Yeah. <clears throat> um, yeah. So that's that's what we got. Um, we were planning on covering commander decks, but I think we're going to put that into a different episode. Maybe that one will be... <laughs> shorter than that one <laughs> <for> once. <laughs> I fucking think it will be. <laughs> Just so everyone is aware, we did have some technical difficulties with internet and whatnot during this recording. I managed to smooth everything out, but we might have lost a couple minutes of discussion. We also recorded a bit of an outro, but that didn't save properly, so I'm doing that bit now. We managed to get through the whole main set and talk about cards we liked here, but we had originally planned to also discuss new cards coming in the Commander Precons. Unfortunately, this all took longer than expected to record, so we're in the process of deciding if we'll do that as a follow-up episode or just skip it altogether. To be fair, none of us were very excited about this set's Precons, so we might just move on to a, next, a new subject next episode. As always, thank you for listening, and we'll see you next time.